I did get to watch a bit of the stream where Dennis was playing uh, at first the first round. Yeah, it is it is so funny because the entire commentary is like, "Oh yeah, no, Dennis should win this." Now eh, he screwed up again. Well, but if he doesn't screw up again, he'll. Okay, well he's gonna lose now, but maybe if he doesn't <laughs> screw up here, he's gonna. Nope, he's gonna lose now. <laughs> it's just like it was really funny to listen to. <laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that's itching to do some magic. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. And Richard. And you'll notice no Dennis. That's because this weekend he's down in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Well, I think officially Dewey, Oklahoma is where the event's being held to play in the last Iron Halo. And in fact, he's going to be back later in the segment with an interview with uh, Jason Horn and possibly some more coverage. We'll see if he has anything else uh uh, he he's doing this as we're recording. So through the magic of editing, I shall be able to bring it all back together. But uh, we're going to pretend it's already happened and he has it ready to go, but we haven't heard it yet. Well, so anyway, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but while he's doing that, uh, we are going to be talking about the new A Thousand Suns Codex, which came out a few weeks ago. Uh, we're finally getting around to it. Um, and this copy was provided to us by Games Workshop for us to to look at and review. Uh, but before we get to that, as always, news, new releases, and your listener mail. And I do want to throw a quick kudos to the listeners who we were going into this like yesterday morning with no listener mail. We put out a call. We've got a, we've got a full list. So you guys are awesome. Uh, we have plenty to talk about. In fact, we'll probably have to cut Kevin off at some point if we, because he's going to keep talking about one of these, but, uh, <laughs> But anyway, news and new releases. It's mostly been Age of Sigmar time over on uh, Warhammer Community because the new Stormcast Eternal and Oric Warclans uh, battle tomes for Age of Sigmar are coming out. The first ones for third edition Age of Sigmar. But fortunately, this weekend also is Gen Con. And they've actually had a presence at Gen Con and they've been doing reveals at Gen Con. But then also revealing them online. So... We get to uh, see what's what's been coming up, and it's you know it's been for all the various product lines they have. Like there's a new season of Warhammer Underworlds coming out. They just announced uh, a teaser for some new stuff for Warcry. But if we pull it into the far future of the 41st millennium, uh, we're going to be looking at. Uh, let's see. We'll start off with the new Kill Team starter box, which is basically the Octarius box, but without all all that orky terrain and with old orky scatter terrain instead. Yeah. Yeah. But it does have the the full uh, kill teams from the Octarius box. If you wanted to get another chance to get the uh, Orc Commandos and Death Corps Krieg Veteran Guardsmen, here they are. Yeah, I think it's a good intro box. Yeah, that's a, a good option, especially for like people who just want the models and and like maybe they already bought a, an Octarius, but they they don't actually need more of the terrain. So yeah. And it looks like this one's going to include both a, a 
smaller version of the core rule book, just like physically shorter, like not as tall. And then a recruit edition, which will basically play you through tutorial missions to learn how to play Kill Team. Much in the way like old box sets for 40k had tutorial missions that taught you how to play the game by letting you play mission after mission and adding rules as you go. So this looks to be a really good intro set into Kill Team. And then in addition, the two Kill Teams will be available as separate purchases too. So if you just want to build Plastic Deathcore Krieg, uh, the Kill Team Veteran Guardsman box is just available with those 10 models. That you can just buy up. I imagine that's going to fly off shelves. Probably. And same with the Orc Commandos, although I don't think people are building entire Orc Commando armies. Although, I mean, you could probably do some fun boy conversions with that. Yeah. So those are going to be available. And continuing on with the Kill Team trend, we also see the first expansion for Kill Team. Kill Team Chalnath, which features... Tau versus Sisters of Battle. And it's interesting what they've decided to do here. So it looks like we get another 10 on 10 fight. Mm. And whereas the uh, the Tau are getting Pathfinders, which I think are a perfect choice for Kill Team. And it's basically the Pathfinder, the existing Pathfinder kit with a new upgrade sprue, which adds more options, which... Also, I think it is cool, more customization, like different heads, a few different weapons, just different poses for some of the, like, for some of the characters. Well, and the, the Pathfinder squad was updated the last time the Tau got, like, a big model release. So, like, mm-hmm. the, the kits themselves are really good, but I do like the fact that they're like, yeah, we'll give you an upgrade sprue with, like, new weapons and, and things like that, just to give it, to keep the, the, kit fresh and then like pathfinders are also in the tower army like where the all the experimental weapons go so like here's new experimental weapons i like that yeah no it works really well for them what's interesting is the sisters of battle unit because it is not just a you know battle sisters it's a unit of what they call novitiates and these look to be a brand new unit like this is not something that's represented in the codex currently it looks like they're wearing a much lighter version of armor. They're not wearing like full pow- power armor from the look of it. Yeah. Yeah. At least the way these are painted, it looks like it's kind of like leather armor and then like shoulder pads. So almost kind of like scouts or something. And it's an interesting mix of things. Cause I see like, okay, so we've got something that is not quite a canonist, but a little fancier than a sister superior. So I'm not sure what's going on there. She's got a plasma pistol and power sword. We've got a sister with an eviscerator, which is like Repentia without being repentant. Mm-hmm. There's a condemner bolt gun, and it looks like a null rod. We've got somebody with a simulacrum. Looks like las pistols instead of yeah, bolt pistols. Like a las pistol or an auto pistol? Yeah, it looks like they're auto pistols instead of bolt pistols. Uh, there's a mace. We've got somebody with a neural whip. Somebody with like the rod of office that uh like canonesses have it's it's an interesting mix but it's it's weird that it's a new it's a new unit and at the same time it doesn't feel like what i would consider a scout unit to be but yeah. some sort of like light sisters unit which is interesting because we didn't get their codex that long ago 
and having this dropped in as a new option type, assuming that it's available in stock 40k, it could be a kill team only. They do say that it's a, it was a unit kind of designed for kill team. Yeah, well, that's fair. Yeah, I, I mean, I do hope they give, they've pretty much given rules for everything 40k for, you know, for all of the kill team stuff they've released. So I do hope they get 40k rules. But yeah, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit disappointed, I guess, that like a new unit comes out so quickly after the codex. But at the same time, depending on what the rules are, because we don't, we don't know if this could be used as like another troop choice, maybe as like a lighter, a lighter armored, more flexible troop choice or something. That's something that they've always needed. We talked before about how, um, the, the militarum, uh, I forget what it's called. The Tempestus. No, the, 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 the unit frater like third edition. Yeah. The, the frater militaris. Or. Yeah, the frater militaris. The, the unit from third edition or second edition, whatever it was, that was basically like Imperial cultists that were like Sisters of Battle's other troop choice. This seems like it could be kind of a better, like, or I say better, but like an updated version of that idea where it's like, yeah, these are battle sisters that are lightly armored, given melee weapons, and told just to run into the fight. That could be kind of cool. So, like, uh, there's some potential here. I really like the models. I really like the diversity of the weapons that they're given. Um, if nothing else, these are going to be really cool conversions to add to your sister's army. So, oh, yeah. It looks like one of them also has a, Narth- a Narth- the, uh, Narthesium. So, like, one of them yeah. is kind of an, uh, a bootleg apothecary. Like, yeah, it, it's it's wild. Like, this, this unit kind of covers everything. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how this fits in with with the codex at all and then the box will also include uh, a set of imperial ruins it looks like it's the the oh gosh what set had had that uh, terrain in it wasn't wasn't it's, dark it's, it's also been released i think some of it has been released by itself because it's the new imperial ruins terrain it's not because I have a set of that train. I just don't remember which set I got it from. Right. Yeah, it's the Battlezone uh, Manufactorium stuff? No, it's not that. It's or, been painted Manufactorium, but it's the it's the Imperial... Like, when they first released... Okay. Like, when they were getting ready to redo the Imperial train from the Cities of Death stuff, yeah. Oh, yeah, this was, like, the okay. first set they released. And I want to... It may have been in the original Kill Team box... You know what? That may be correct because I think that the Rogue Trader box had terrain in it. I think. Yes the ori- the original Kill Team box set that had like Gene Stealer cults and oh uh, yeah and Mechanicus in it like that that had this terrain in it. So they're basically bringing that terrain back. Okay, which I'm fine with. That was that was yeah. It's a great terrain set. Yeah, it's good looking terrain. But yeah, they're just they're just bringing bringing that back, which um, I will probably pick this box up because new Pathfinders for my Tau, Novitiates for my sisters and more of that terrain, which I happen to like a lot. So, yeah, yeah, I will I will definitely pick this box up and it looks like it's going the mission book included with it. It's not going to include a rule book, but the mission book included with it is going to be very much like the Octarius one where 
it has missions and and rules and such that make these teams very particular compared to the ones that are in like the compendium. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see like how these Tau Pathfinders compare to Pathfinders in the rules compendium and see like how specific they are because that's where through these expansions I think we're going to see kill team units get less generic and that'll yeah. kind of give us a you know, kind of like one point isn't doesn't give us a line, but now that we'll have two of these particular like zoned kill team boxes, we'll be able to see like what direction the game is going in. Yeah, and then as we know with the uh, you know the roadmap they laid out last month or whatever, I think we're getting a new, you know new one of these basically every quarter. So you right. know, this might I would expect that this will probably come out before the end of the year. And then, Most they'll, and then and then they'll announce the next one for for Q one of next year. So, yeah, it's a good way to get models out there and get uh, and make you know make as you say, kind of make kill team a little less generic. So I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see, and then uh, the I'd say the last big piece of uh, 40k coverage for Gen Con that we've seen, uh, not counting like. Uh, Necromunda has like some new terrain, some new books, new, new gang coming, and such. Yeah, like a gang of out of like uh, outsider or outcasts, and yeah. uh, the market terrain they have is pretty cool looking. The Underhive market looks that new. is that is pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, the the big news is the Black Templars are getting a uh, special release army box. Uh, similar to what we saw with both Sisters of Battle and uh, the Beast Snaga orcs, uh, they're getting in a the Black Templars army set, which I hesitate to call an army set compared to the others, uh, mostly for model count. We've done a little bit of math on it based on what we think it's going to be like, uh, mm-hmm. but it's thirteen models, a new martial model. They get a they get their own martial, which is their captain equivalent. The new Emperor's Champion, which they've shown off before, and then a ten man Primaris Crusader squad, which has half of the units or half of the models, roughly or four of the models looks like in lighter armor because they are neophytes. So we're seeing Crusader like old school Crusader squads brought. Uh, premier style but still mm-hmm. keeping that like half scout half you know half battle armor vibe going on including having a uh, sword brother as the sergeant equivalent if you want to build it that way and then a redemptor dreadnought as well um they all look fantastic the models look great oh yeah uh, yeah yeah, the marshal is going to have a variety of weapons and two heads to choose from, which I'm assuming one is helmet, one is probably not. They show the not helmet. I'm assuming the other one is helmet. But multiple op- weapon options is great. We haven't we we need to see more of those like HQ characters with multiple options, so very mm-hmm. supportive of that. Yeah, the new crusaders look look very solid. Uh, the army book features the uh, John Blanche artwork from the third edition Warhammer 40k box set, <laughs> and it also will include the data cards. So we 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 put together the points based on uh, basically Marshall's a captain equivalent, Emperor's champion is a chapter champion equivalent. He's probably cost more than a chapter champion, but we'll go with it. A assault intercessor squad in place of a crusader squad again with this unit can take flamers and 
and bolters and such, and you've got guys in lighter armor mixed in. So we'll have to see how the cost ends up working out, but it's probably going to be somewhere in this in this zone. And then a Redemptor Dreadnought is a Redemptor Dreadnought. We can actually price that one out pretty easily. And it comes to as roughly pictured, not exactly, but we can't saw it in like the 560, 570 point range. So this actually is right in line with what we'd see for a Space Marine Combat Patrol. Oh, I, I, I would not be surprised. And it won't, it may not be something you'll see right away because they want to sell the limited box. And like, I get that, but I would not be surprised to just see this, this box as is released as the combat patrol after the, the limited edition box sells out. Oh, absolutely. Like, I I don't know that they make any changes to it. Yeah. Like, like I said, the point level is right where we, right where we would want it. They don't show like, yeah, the, unfortunately I don't have the, the power level on everything here, but yeah, it's, but I mean, if it's five, 560 points, it'll probably be right in that 25 to 27 power level, which is right where all the other ones are. And, uh, it will be lighter on units. Well, no, not really, because it's four units. It'll have four. Technically, yeah. two characters are separate units. So, yeah, I mean, I this will this will probably just be the combat patrol box. So, not to say that like don't buy it if you play Black Templars and you want the cool, you know, the the special edition stuff because you got the codex early and all the other stuff that goes with it. But if you miss out on this, you'll probably be able to buy this exact box down the line. Right. And we've seen this as a trend with the uh, like the Sisters of Battle box. If you missed out on that, yes, there was a, a much longer delay, but you were able to get those models as their combat patrol. If you missed out on the Beast Snaga box, all those models are now available. So it's like the Crusader squad is going to be pretty standard. And I can't imagine the Marshal or the Emperor's Champion are going to be exclusive to this either. So yeah. uh, you'll have other chances to get that. But yeah, if you want just these models don't worry about missing out. But if you do want like the, the special edition, if you want to get it, the book early, you know, like, cause it'll probably be a good month, month and a half before it gets released to the, the greater public, go ahead and get it now. I mean, it, it looks nice. It's probably going to be in the 175 to dollar range. I would guess maybe 200, mm-hmm. Because Combat Patrol is 140, the Codex is going to be... It's a Codex supplement, so it's probably only 40, and then the data card. So I could see it being like $180 box, if I had to guess. Yeah. And they said, this isn't the last of the Black Templars either. Remember certain Pyre Blaster toting Space Marine, which they, they showed off uh, a few weeks ago with like the, the, the Mega Flamer that he had. Uh, they said, well, he's got friends and they'll be joining the crusade towards the end of the year. There'll be more in Warhammer community when we get it. So I expect this probably around Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas, but I, I'd say probably like late November is when we're going to see this. Well, I think, um, again, cause they kind of put that roadmap out there recently. I think I would expect this box probably in October. Okay. And then the 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 actual Templar Codex in November. That would still give them time to release because I think there's two codexes they've announced after uh, after Templars. So that would give them December to release those, um, and then that would still kind of give them time to like have this be an exclusive and have people have it early uh, before the actual Codex launches. Right, and those those other Black Templar models may be coming well after the the mm-hmm. book comes out because like. 
we still don't have like the models for the the hunter rig and kill rig for orcs yet and their yep. book's been out for a few weeks and they're technically their army's been out for like a month and a half two months so yeah it, it, it'll it doesn't necessarily mean everything gets dropped we're still i think do we have everything for sisters now finally i think it, uh yeah because they released the castigator and the uh banner woman the, the, the one with the giant banner uh yeah. i believe that is everything now for sisters that is out i yeah. mean you still can't we buy several some of the models but like that's just because they're sold out that's not because they're not right. available <laughs> Well, still can't God. buy still can't buy uh, Space Marine suppressors in a standalone kit, <laughs> or uh, do, uh, well, okay. I guess the technically the box has been released, but like the Blade Guard veterans and the Assault Intercessors, I haven't seen those boxes. Oh no, th- those are <laughs> no those. Yeah, they, but they're out. I have yeah, the Blade yeah, yeah. Guard veterans box, yeah. and I know the Assault. Yeah, but it's like we're yeah. like but suppressors been have been out for yeah. years, and they still we still don't have them as a standalone kit. So. I think they're yeah. the only ones too, because eliminators are definitely available as a standalone. But yeah, yeah. But I think that's pretty much our Gen Con news. I don't think there's been any other breaking news from Gen Con today. Like I said, the last thing was uh, Warcry. Yeah, nothing, nothing else. Although I will say, because uh, I've been doing the online Gen Con and like streaming and 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 things like that. Uh, and watching Twitch streams and stuff. Apparently, at the uh, Games Workshop booth, they have a like full size like Space Marine, you know, model like like they normally do, like this giant you know statue. And apparently, they have a Primaris bolt gun that like they're letting people like hold and like carry around, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, and apparently, it is heavy as shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and I think a chain Primaris chain sword as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I was like, that's cool. I. God, God, I hope I can go to Gen Con next year. <laughs> well, okay, so I I knew Gen Con was doing like an online Gen Con. I didn't realize they were also doing in-person Gen Con this year until yes. Games Workshop said we're going to be there. And yep. so I was like, oh, that could be really bad. But so, every photo I've yeah. seen of Gen Con, like 100% mask usage across the, <laughs> the board, they, like they, across they, everyone on the floor. Yeah. They instituted very, very strict mask, mask policies um they reduce capacity to i think 50 percent max and i think it's a little bit below that and i i know for a fact they have kicked people out for not wearing masks properly so it seems like they're doing a good job of like of trying to make sure it's not a super spreader event so right well and we had Dra- uh, dragon con i think last week or the week before yeah, down in atlanta recently. and i know they were not only did they have like I don't know if mask usage was strictly enforced, but they did have a vaccination requirement or like mm-hmm. vaccination or get tested within like 24 hours before attending. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that event's probably turned out to be not a super spreader. Also, like a f- couple of months ago, we had uh, Lollapalooza in Chicago, and I remember seeing pictures of that crowd and I think, oh, this could be terrible. Apparently, yeah. they also had a vaccine requirement, vaccine or testing requirement to get in. And you'll note yeah. there's no news about lollapalooza being a super spreader event so so it does seem like we're getting and i'll, I'll tie this into like our next n- news update but it does seem like we're getting back to like uh, getting it to a point where we know how to handle these in-person events and not cause problems and spread the pandemic which is great which means we can get back to doing more events which ties into the next update 
I'll be in Kansas City in a, no, next weekend. So we're going to meet about uh, Midwest Conquest. Uh, tentatively, tickets will go on sale at the end of October, and we should have updates about the formats and you know de- more details about the events coming up in the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that. We'll post it on social media. We'll update the website. Um, we'll talk about it on the podcast. But uh, things are still happening. The event is still moving forward. So uh, I do hope that everyone can make it. Yeah, and granted, that event's going to be at the end of May of next yep. year. So, uh, obviously, we're going to keep our eye on the situation on the ground and uh, and make sure that uh, whatever the appropriate safety guidelines are at the time are. Yep. I mean, hey, maybe that by that point there will be a, you know a high enough vaccination rate, and there's a good good chance younger kids will be able to be vaccinated by then. Yep. We might be able to relax some of yeah. those guidelines if if everybody does their part and kind of goes on with you know do doing what we can uh don't don't take the horse paste kids and uh <laughs> and that's gonna get us some hate mail but you know what <laughs> Man, I don't I, shit. <laughs> there, there's a certain point where like i'm gonna draw a line yeah. in the sand and say don't don't take the horse paste right <laughs> oh and there is one other thing that they did announce on uh Warhammer community. Uh, so they've partnered with a third action figure company. So we've had Bandai oh, yeah. doing figures and we had McFarlane toys, which they announced some new McFarlane toys, which uh, included oh, yeah. a space Marine, what, a Reaver, a, a couple of variations of orc bo- or orc mech. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then a couple gene stealers. Yeah. Yep. In both paint pre painted and artist proof versions for painting yourself, which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but they've also partnered with a company called Joy Toy to release uh sets of four models, either ultramarines, incursors, or infiltrators. These models are pre painted as far as I can tell. Um, yeah. they, they haven't shown any like artist proof versions, but they are, it looks like they're very articulated, extremely well sculpted and painted and have lots of customization options. They look great. Yeah. And they're, they're a little bit smaller than the other ones. They're four, four and three quarters inch tall or 12 centimeters. Um, mm-hmm. so they're not quite as big as the McFarlane ones or the Bandai ones. Uh, but yeah, they, they basically are, are action figures and I've already heard online about people that are like, oh yeah, I'm buying like a set of these and I'm running kill team at this scale, <laughs> which I'm like, that's, oh wow, that's a cool idea. <laughs> like, that's a cool idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. But no, they look fantastic. So it's it, it's a, a set of four incursors or four infiltrators. They they are only going to be available from September 25th through October 3rd. So when this episode goes live, it will be that small window in which you can order these. And then after that, they're no longer available. Now, whether I, I imagine it's going to be the same uh, deal as like the Bandai ones where it's a pre-order and you'll get them eventually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's what, like a six month. Yeah. Sets of figures will be made available, made to order. So they won't be, it's not like you order them and then you'll get them the next week, but they do look really solid in it. Like, you know, four inch action, like five inch action figures. That's actually going to be pretty cool. And, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. 25 points of articulation, fully pre-painted. Uh, they've got, like, swappable hands, swappable gear. 
So yeah, I, I I don't know if I'll order any myself. I'm not a big Ultramarines fan, but they do look really cool. So if you are an Ultramarines fan or just you like 40k and you like action figures, this is a set to keep your eye on and pick up if if you see if you're interested. But I I would not sleep on it. I also suspect they'll release more in the future. Like they mm-hmm. everything starts with Space Marines and then they'll expand it out. So yeah, they'll see what the response is and then go from there. If it's if Space Marines sell well. And then they get enough feedback of, hey, we'd like to see, I mean, that's why we're seeing like on, from McFarland, they've got a uh, sister battle model. And now we're seeing orcs and gene sealers. We're going to see more Xenos models. Hopefully we'll start seeing some chaos models before long. That'll be awesome. So just yet another range of action figures for, for you 40k action figure fans. All right, and I think that takes us from action figure fans to preferred enemies fans because now it's time for your listener mail. All these letters come from you, the listeners, and if you want to have your letter read on the air, we'll tell you how at the end of the show, and again, or we'll tell you how at the end of the segment, and again, huge props to our, our fans for coming through with letters uh, when we had nothing, we would have had nothing to talk about right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we're going we're gonna to start it off with a letter from Steve Diaz, which I think is targeted mostly at Kevin. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> Steve writes... Howdy, enemies of preference. My question is, did you happen to make it to the Sporting Kansas City versus LAFC game? How'd you like that, whoopin'? It's great to know that another gamer likes football. Keep on casting. You are my preferred podcast for 40K content. Thank you kindly, and always remember that we are LAFC. P.S. Not sure if this will make it on the podcast, lol. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it's going to make it on the podcast. So I've told Rob that he can cut me off on this one because I... In in previous lives, I, I was on and ran multiple other podcasts, and I did, like, a weekly SKC podcast for, like, six months. So I could talk about this for a very long time, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm going to put you on a five-minute timer, okay? I, I don't think it'll take that long. But uh, I will okay. say, I, I was unable to make uh, the game this time. I was kind of planning on it, but... My uh, housing situation and my apartment complex, like, was kind of sketchy right around the time that this was happening, so I had to make some decisions. So I was in town, and I, I was not able to make the drive out to L.A., even though I wanted to, uh, because it was a Friday night on uh, Labor Day weekend. So I was going to make like a whole thing out of it and go to L.A., and it didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, I did make it out to L.A. when we played the Galaxy on the 4th of July, and I had a blast that weekend. Uh, we, we beat the Galaxy, so... Uh, even though I disagree with you as an LAFC fan, we can both agree the Galaxy suck. But uh, Bank of California Stadium, where LAFC plays, is hands down, in my opinion, the best stadium in Major League Soccer. Uh, it is amazing if you are interested in soccer or interested in stadiums. It is great to go v- to go visit and see. It is right next to where uh, the Coliseum is, so it kind of shares parking with that. There's public transit to get there. It's right off the highway. It's it's a gorgeous stadium. It's a great atmosphere. I did watch part of this game on TV and then turned it off, I think, when it was three to nothing because we were getting our butts kicked. So I will say, uh, you know, congrats. You you did win that game. Uh, I did get to see when we beat LAFC in Kansas City earlier this year. Uh, and I watched on TV when we beat LAFC in L.A. even worse than you beat us. So, And I've been watching as Kansas City is in first place. So, Yeah. We're still better than you, so that's there's that. <laughs> but no, thank you for thank you for for writing in, and uh, 
you know, I, I've been a fan of Major League Soccer and soccer in the United States for a very long time, and I do feel that it is very a very similar-ish community to, like, the 40K community in that it is very small, very insular. It's obviously grown a lot over the last couple of years, but um, when I see other people that are fans of this league, because there's so many people that can be fans of soccer that are just not fans of this league, it's always great. I always want to try to talk to them, meet with them. Every time I've gone to L.A., because I've been to Bank of California Stadium, like, three times, every time it's been great. The fans have been great. Tailgates have been great. Like, I've had a blast every time, so... And I think we've won two of the three times that I went. But anyway, it's always fun to see other Major League Soccer fans. So uh, thank you for writing in. <laughs> that that actually was a lot short. I didn't have to cut you off. Good job. Yeah, I, 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 I'm I, very I, proud I of you. <laughs> I could have dunked on it more, and I decided not to. I decided to take the high road. <laughs> it's the mark of a true professional, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right. uh, To a more serious note, let's uh, move on to a letter from uh, Ray Weberund. Uh, Ray writes, Hello, preferred enemies. I have been a longtime 40k player since third edition on, but over the last year or so, I really examined the game for me. I have never really been into the fluff, though Death Watch and Eldar I did enjoy, and I play a lot of different tabletop games. My wife and I are avid board gamers, and we include our kids, but I play a lot of mini games as well. X-Wing, Legion, War Mahords, 40k, and Battletech. I think this will be the last edition of 40k I play. What I came to realize during the pandemic... This is the only game I now pay more in rules in a year than models. I know I could spend more on models from GW, but I'm down to one army, Death Watch, from four at the start of 9th edition. Looking at what I've bought over the essentially four years is the indexes at the start of 8th, I needed three, the 8th edition rulebook, Death Watch Codex, Sisters Codex, Eldar Codex, Marine Codex, and Raven Guard Supplements, a second Marine Codex, Ninth Edition Rulebook, Scenario Pack, Sisters Codex again, Space Marine Codex again, with the Death Watch Supplement, and a number of points updates and chapter approved in White Dwarf, and then all the stuff for Kill Team the first time. This actually bothers me. Most other games, you get the rules you need to play, or at least the point updates, for free. The cost of rules seems to mean it's just harder for me to keep up when I enjoy the other games as much as 40k. Though the other games' minis are off of way lesser quality compared to Games Workshop, I don't need to rebuy the rules or even just the points just to play with the models I've purchased and assembled. While I'm very blessed with a job that pays well enough to have a hobby budget, but gives me enough time to game with family and friends, I still have to keep things in budget. I just don't think that 40k will keep me. Other games are more streamlined and smoother in most cases, though I will give 40k the smoother than Warmahords. Uh, but 40k holds a special place in my heart. It was the first war game for me, but I just don't find that it's worth the rules cost. So, short question long, what do you think of the cost of 40k rules compared to other war games, and is this something that Games Workshop should try to address? I know Age of Sigmar has some free content, so there is hope for me. I also want to say your content is great, and even if I leave most of 40k, I will still listen to this fun podcast to keep my toe in the water. Thank you again for reading this rambling email, and thank you for all the time you put into the podcast, Ray from Alaska. Uh, I think there's Ray brings up a couple of really good points, and it's yeah. it's things that we've addressed in the past. Uh, but I think it's it's fine with we're you know we're a year into a new edition, and as codexes are rolling out to update armies for that edition, this is absolutely a topic that I think is topical. Yeah, 
No, I, I can feel that, like, I, you know, spending more... Uh, I can feel the, the, the pain of spending more on rules than models, and then also the knee-jerk justification, why I should just spend more on models, uh, which is a bad cycle to get into. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, I mean, I've... Because of moving and COVID and everything else going on, I have played exactly one full game of 9th Edition 40K, and I've bought a bunch of 9th Edition codexes and 9th Edition models. So I, I can certainly feel the pain of like buying the you know the indexes and then having to buy the codexes and then buying a new codex and a new edition. I do think there is some issues with GW, like they should probably have cheaper options for some of the codexes, digital options, for example, now that they have the app out. You know, the, the rules should probably be cheaper in general um, than they are. But also I will say that 40K is... And, and I, I, I think this is better for the hobby in general, or for the game in general. They are trying to keep up with the competitive scene for 40K, and they're trying to keep it rules balanced, which is why you see the semi-annual points adjustments, FAQs, things like that. And I think that's that's part of the problem. If you are staying in the competitive scene, or if you're doing a podcast about 40K, you pretty much have to buy everything as it comes out, because you just have to stay up on it. If you're wanting to play 40K casually as a game with other people just here and there to mix in with the other games, there is no reason you have to play 9th edition. You can play 8th edition. You can play 5th edition. You can find your 3rd edition rules and play with 3rd edition. If you're playing it casually, that's fine. And and you don't have to buy everything if you're wanting to just play Death Watch or Eldar. It might be good to buy those codexes when they come out just so you can kind of see how they've changed. But like, if you're interested in just playing with your family... Play Index 8th Edition 40K. It's perfectly well-balanced, you know, um, if you're wanting to play, you know, like so it's it's really just kind of how you want to engage with the hobby. There are some people that want to play this super competitively. This is the only game they play, so they buy every codex and they pour over every codex so they can get every piece of knowledge about the current meta and the current edition. But that, that doesn't have to be you. You can engage with it as much or as little as you want. So I, I do. I think that is a good point that you 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 don't need to feel beholden to the upgrade cycle if yeah. if you like the game where it is at a particular point if you're playing casually. But I think getting down to the core topic of how Games Workshop handles its updates versus other games and how they handle their rules and especially unit costs and such. So I'm looking around my my basement slash gaming repository here. Um, I have. If it's, let's cut out Warcry and Kill Team right now because they're more like at a skirmish level. But if I if I look at like main uh, like different brand games that that I have like war games I have models and rules for. I have Star Wars X Wing. I have Star Wars Armada. I have BattleTech. I have Bolt Action. I have 40k, and I have uh, Age of Sigmar. Technically, I also have some Infinity models I've never played, but the rules for Infinity are actually available as free downloads off of their website. Uh, so, like, I could play like if I just like it doesn't have any of the fluff or anything, but if I just want to play Infinity, I could also get the rules there. Now, for all but two of those games, notably, you know, except for Age of Sigmar and 40k all of those games have either no no codex of any sort either there there's a core rule book 
and then the rules are included with the models that you buy, or there's a core rule book that has the rules for all the models that you would buy. And the one exception I can see to that is like bolt action does have like army, uh, like armies of Germany, armies of the United States, armies of the mm. Soviet Union. It has those little splat books, but those books tend to include very like either rare stuff, like very specific stuff that is not covered in the core book or is revised in those books, but you don't have to have them or stuff that's tied to particular theaters of warfare. So like for the Soviet book, uh, you want to play an army appropriate to the defense of Stalingrad. Uh, you can, f you know, they'll have like tell you, you can use these units, you can use this war gear, but you can't use this because it wouldn't have been available and they didn't use this anymore and stuff like that. So it's like you can get very in the weeds, but even then that's one little thin book that you can buy or not as you choose. Uh, Battletech has all like there are books you can buy of all the mechs and they will give you like all the the fluff and information on all the variants on particular mechs, but that information is also available for free online by a catalyst and, and fan groups that catalyst supports as well. So you can get that X wing, the X wings, an interesting case in that their first edition, they had point costs on like for the individual ships on the cards that came with them in the second edition, they took the point costs off and put, took the point costs off of like all the upgrade cards and they moved it to both an online tool and a PDF you can download because the point costs, they wanted the ability to change those on the fly based on how the competitive meta was working out. And there are like quick build options that they also have available included with particular ships or available for free as PDF downloads that don't use points. So similar to like how we'd have like power level versus points in 40k. And again, that's all available free online and they can update it on the fly. So that kind of puts the lie like, well, you, if you fo follow the competitive scene, you have to release print updates of all the points. No, Games Workshop could absolutely choose to just release the chapter approved point updates as a free PDF for everybody. Oh, for sure. For sure. They absolutely could. Um, they could release the mission, the yearly mission updates as a free document. They could include it in White Dwarf like they did before where it's like, oh yeah, once per year you buy a $10 White Dwarf and it comes with all the stuff that you need for that year. Um, they could absolutely do that and they're choosing not to. And I do think it is a problem that Games Workshop doesn't have those other options. Like, I love the fact that they have an online tool for army building, even if it's a bit wonky. Uh, and I do love that I can make my, I can take my print book and unlock those rules in the app and like through my, my more Warhammer account. That's cool. And that is something we've been wanting for a while, but there's no cheaper option to just pay like, what if I just want to unlock it in the app? What if mm -hmm. I, I don't want the print version? I don't really care about the fluff. I just want access to the rules. Is there a 10 or $15 fee I can pay to unlock it? So I do think Games Workshop kind of stands alone compared to a lot of games companies in that they do have this update update cycle where we get a new edition of the game every three years or so. 
and suddenly you have to buy, you know, you have to play with a not fully compatible version of the codex until they get around to updating it. And it's in recent years that that update cycle has been built into the new edition. Before then, it was just like, yeah, we'll get to your book whenever we get to it, and whatever's not compatible, eh, we'll work around it. I mean, think about the entirety of, like, 4th edition through, like, 7th edition for some armies. Like, you know, if you just didn't... Like, sisters. If you just didn't get an update, you didn't get an update mm-hmm. for a long time. And you had to play with rules that didn't necessarily work quite right. And... No, I I do think it's a problem that Games Workshop does this. And I think even if you're down to four, like if, if you've cut down to one army, it definitely helps. But if you've got the models you want for that, like if you're, you know, Ray says he plays Death Watch. If he doesn't want to buy the Primaris squads, which you absolutely don't have to to play Death Watch, you could basically buy zero minis for and just be paying for rules for... You know, if you wanted to keep up on versions, but because Death Watch is a codex supplement, he's right. It's like every edition, you're going to have to pay for a $60 to $80 core rule book. You're going to have to buy $50 Space Marine Codex. You're going to have to pay for like a $30 to $40 um, Death Watch supplement. And you're going to need a cha- you're going to need to keep up on a chapter approved, which is going to be about 20 bucks every year. So that's not a minor cost if it's just a game you're playing casually and you just want to keep yeah. up with it it sucks uh there there's no two ways about it um there are companies have shown they have better models for doing it age of sigmar does help but i have concerns that with the app like one of the things with the a, like the older app the azure app is yes they had all the data sheets available for units online and so you could download and get the full information on a sh- on a unit. You couldn't get their points though, although they had an online war scroll builder, so you could kind of work with that. But like you couldn't get access to a lot of the special rules for your army outside of the data sheets without buying a digital version of the of that battle tome that cost less than the print one, but you were still having to double buy the book. It wasn't a good model then. I will say it's probably a little bit better now in that like they've released a their new version of the General's Handbook, which is in the same format as the chapter approved uh, rule book, includes the entire full rules, which includes army building, which excuse me, which they do not put in the chapter approved rule book. And I really wish they would put that in. Like, I want the core rulebook to be yeah. a thing that you don't have to buy unless you want, like, if you don't want Crusade, if you don't care about Crusade rules, you don't care about the fluff, you just want to have the rules to build an army and play the game, chapter approved would be a much more reasonable option. At, or just give me a mini rulebook that has all that in it, and then give me point updates for free online i think that would go a long way now if you want updated rules for your army there are other ways that can be addressed too but yeah games workshop I, at this point i think they're kind of an outlier i don't even think like Warmahords also did the thing where we include cards with the rules for each unit when you buy it so if we want to update an army we'll just sell you like a 10 or 15 dollar deck of cards that has every unit in your army and i think that's one of these cases where Games Workshop is kind of unique in their business model, and it's 
it's not a in this aspect it's not a great one for consumers uh if now if again if you only play one army it's not as bad but if you had four we feel your pain yeah. <laughs> we really really do yeah no like it's not an ideal model but like i and you know i get i get why they do it because it's profitable but yeah like it's not it's certainly not ideal yeah um i do think the cost so to answer ray's basic question what do I think of the cost of 40k rules compared to other war games? I think it's I think compared to what other companies have done, it's way overcosted. And is this something GW would should or would try to address? I think they should. I don't think they will because they've found a business model that works for them and they know people will pay money for codexes. Yeah. Now, if they turn around, if they get enough feedback, if they send out another like player engagement survey like they've sent out a couple of times before and they get enough feedback that we need cheaper options to for codexes we can't we don't want to keep rebuying codexes and campaign books and chapter approved every year just to keep current on the game then maybe they'll actually take that into advisement it doesn't necessarily mean it'll change anything we also don't know what their profit margin on codexes looks like so if it's really if it's a really good margin, they won't change it. If it's a tight margin yeah. and there's enough pushback, they might. But without that information, I, I just don't know. So, so Ray, I wish I had <laughs> something better other than say, yeah, you're right. Um, it's overcrossed. And if you don't feel like you're getting enough out of your money to continue playing the game, don't. Yeah. I, I, I no, mean, then. I. I'm not going to I like I'm always sad to see a player go but if you look if you're looking at your time and your budget and you're like I have like four other games that scratch a similar itch that I don't have to do this this regular update cycle and I just buy the stuff I want to use and I have all the rules right there yeah I mean enjoy cuz I I don't blame you <laughs> yeah no absolutely like y- your time is your game time is limited you know, for everybody, but you know, especially if you have a family and and other other commitments. So yeah, don't don't feel that you need to waste time on a, a game or a hobby that you're not getting full enjoyment out of. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, and it sounds like the other games that you play, like, are they're all they're all good games. Like, you know, and yeah, if that's if that's where you decide to take your hobby time, that's that's fine. Uh, the one thing I will say about some of those games, though, especially the Fantasy Flight ones, so, like, X- X-Wing has a very low entry cost because the starter set for that is, like, 40 bucks and mm-hmm. gets you, like, three ships, and the, and it do- and you don't use a lot of ships, so X-Wing's got a very low cost, but, like, Legion, and I'll throw Armada in as an example as well, um, they don't have separate core rule books to buy. You have to buy one of their starter sets, and those all come in yep. at around $100. So there's a big cost of entry. And if you're only interested in playing now, like with Armada, they have, like, they've started doing faction specific starter sets. But like Legion, if you only want to play Empire Rebellion, there's, and you don't have somebody to split the box with, you are basically buying a bunch of models you don't want to get access to the ones you do want and the rule book, which you only get one of. So you can't even split it. Like somebody gets to be keeper of the rule book. You know, if you, if you split yeah. it. So they're, they're like fantasy flights core set options are not ideal either. Uh, so there is that battle text, probably one of the easiest ones to get into because you can buy it. Like they have starter sets. 
Uh, but you can also buy the core book. You can buy like the Total Warfare book separately. You can buy a digital version on Drive Through RPG. You can buy it in print through any number of bookstores. And then models, you can buy their, like they've been releasing, like I've been on the Kickstarter, I was on the Kickstarter for like the latest Battletech set and they've released a ton of plastics now. So like a lot of their stuff's available in plastic and there's a ton of people who do 3D printing, like, like STL files where you can get them printed online. Mm-hmm. And unlike Games Workshop, uh, Catalyst doesn't care. You want to, it's like they're, they're no they're making their yeah, money off yeah. of off of selling you the rule book and like the fluff and the novels and things like that yeah. and map sets and and stuff but they're just happy to have you play and so you want to use 3d printed models be you know be their guest and so uh, yeah there are definitely options where you know there there, there are comparable you know, comparable pricing options but yeah I, yeah, if you're not getting getting fun out of the game for your for your gaming dollar, if you're not like if you're not seeing that return on investment, and and good on you for not falling into the sunk cost fallacy, where it's like, well, I've dropped all this money, like like you said, Kevin, falling into the well, I dropped all this money on the rules. I guess I should buy some new models. Um, Just really gonna call me out like that? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna call you out on that because we, hey, it, it takes a junkie to know a junkie, so. Uh, <laughs> But no, it's I, I no, I, I, I applaud applaud you Ray for, for not falling into that trap and, yeah, and for sure you know, deciding if this is if this is it for you and you're just not enjoying it anymore, there's nothing wrong with picking up and and I don't want to say like taking your ball and going home sounds wrong, but like with deciding I'm I'm just gonna shelve this and maybe well, and come back decide, to it later. If you decide that you want to engage in the Warhammer world and not the game this is the golden age of content for you. Like there is the Warhammer plus stuff with the new shows they're releasing. There's video games, there's books. Like there's so many ways to engage with the Warhammer world. If, even if you don't play the game, like so yeah, don't, don't feel like you have to continue buying rule books and models for a game that you're not getting as much enjoyment out of. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, Take what you can out of it, and and if it's if it's time to set it aside, set it aside. Don't don't feel bad about that. It's you know you're not rage quitting. You're just like I just I can't I can't keep justifying the cost, and that's a fair response. Yeah. All right. Next letter from Brian Dennis. Brian writes, "Hi from England. I enjoy the show. I appreciate that you have a listener mail section. I'm a Chaos Space Marines player, and I still enjoy the current codex, aside from one wound Marines." But I have a question on what you would, you would like to see or think we will see from a 9th edition Chaos Space Marines Codex. I'm hoping for improved rules around the Marks of Chaos, something like uh, Age of Sigmar Slaves to Darkness rules, where Marks give out auras for heroes for the same marked units, like Korn, I believe, has reroll ones to wound. I'm basically hoping for thematic and fun rules that also work on the table, not too powerful either. I hope this makes sense. Thank you for the work you guys do on the show. I appreciate it. I would love to see marks actually be useful in path. Oh, for in, sure. In, for I think sure. the eighth edition one marks were just a keyword that like, yeah. that's all they were. So the, the problem with marks for 40 K has always been, how do you balance them? Because they try to make them thematic where it's like, Oh, corn gets rerolls and assault. Slanesh gets, you know, I don't remember what Slanesh would get, but like Nurgle would get feel no pain and stuff like that. And then it's like, well, Okay, these are all these three are really good, but feel no pain is like a hundred times better. So it's mm-hmm. like, well, uh, so I, you know, I they need to find a way to balance it so that 
those you know marks actually do something and i i think the as much as i hate to admit it, i think the best solution probably is just make you know mark it and then it gives them a keyword and it gets you access to specific stratagems or relics and things like that where it's not as engaging as it could be but it's way easier to balance yeah it's you know marks have been tricky like having keywords that stratagems key off of is good although we also have the issue of trying to make sure that we, you don't get unwanted uh, synergy between like mm-hmm. mark like chaos space marines with marks and demons with marks because that's so, been a balance issue that we've had before and books are starting to address that by being very specific on keywords or uh as we saw with uh like Death Guard, and as we will see with Thousand Suns, they instead of doing like Heretic Astartes, they have very specific special keywords mm-hmm. that only work for like those sub factions. But with Chaos Space Marines, that's a little harder, which is why they tend to fall more towards the Legion keywords than anything. Mm-hmm. There is there is a very easy way to fix the problem that you just laid out, and it's exactly what. Age of Sigmar does like the Slaves of Darkness or like the the various like sub faction codexes they have Codex Demonkin. They already did it before with the Corn Demonkin Codex, which is probably still my favorite codex that this game has ever released because it's so flavorful. They were able to internally balance everything to work with the Demon and the Legion, or not Legion, but like you know Chaos Space Marine Heretic Astartes like were you know formats and stuff you could easily do that in ninth edition and release release a corn demon kin or you know nurgle maggot kin or or any of these and just have like here's your combined nurgle chaos force and here's your options and here's how it works and i it's ah i just can't believe they haven't done it yet like it's so it seems so obvious and they do it for sigmar i i don't know why they haven't done it yet for 40k that said, uh, they did say earlier in the roadmap a couple weeks ago that chaos is coming next year. So right. I and I and then a lot of the stuff they that we didn't talk about in the Gen Con previews. There was a corn blood bowl team. There is a core team, uh, corn team for uh, Warcry. There is uh, chaos stuff coming out for some of these other ones. So I do fully expect that we'll see chaos stuff early next year or you know early by like you know first half of next year um because i i think there's a lot of models that need to be updated there's a lot of rumors about you know when are are we going to get another demon primark are we going to get you know specific legion codexes uh or ways to play those like i i think there's stuff coming but it'll just have to wait because they've basically already announced basically the release schedule for the rest of the year and they've said that chaos isn't on it for this year but hopefully hopefully next year we'll get get some really cool fluffy updates yeah we're hoping but yeah it's or like you you mentioned the demonkin books uh like i've got the maggotkin of of nurgle book for age of sigmar and it does also like have things where it's like okay well if you're using mortal care like they'll have the mortal keyword and the demon keyword so it's like that's how you differentiate your like your cultists and Mm -hmm. like warriors of chaos versus your demons of chaos and so you could do something like that or as a complete counterpoint to to raise letter previously we could get a chaos space marines codex and then a bunch of codex supplements for the legions that aren't covered by thousand suns and, and death guard and you know charge 
charge chaos players 90 bucks to to pay their you know play their army of choice yeah no it 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 gets back to that same problem that we talked about with the previous one that yeah maybe the best solution to fix it within the current structure of the game is to release like multiple codexes and like that's not ideal either so nope <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like otherwise, you want to see something that has some parity with Space Marines, but doesn't feel like just a mirror image. Yeah, there's other things I would like to see in a Chaos Space Marine Codex. Like I understand, like I think by moving everybody to two wounds, it kind of takes the uh, edge off of Space Marines having Primaris. Like it, it lets Chaos not feel like they're falling behind. I think we're going to see the limitations on chaos cultists where um, cultists, like if, if we look at the other uh, chaos Marine codexes that we have, uh, so play your uh, death guard and spoilers, thousand sons. Um, they have rules that you can, you can't have more cultists than you have like tr- other space Marine, like, Chaos Space Marine, like, trooper infantry units. And in those codexes also, cultists don't get objective secured, which really throw, you know, makes makes those units feel like, or makes those armies feel like it's Chaos Space Marines with cultist hanger-ons rather than a whole bunch of cultists and a few Chaos Space Marines. But then you can also have, like, Word Bearers and Alpha Legion maybe be able to play around with that somewhat and and maybe they do have objective secured or maybe they can break those those limitations somewhat to have the right feeling um Mm -hmm. that's something i wouldn't mind seeing Uh, we're gonna get to see a little bit of preview uh in the thousand suns codex of what some of the vehicles like especially like demon engines will look like because they do get upgrades and i like a lot of the stuff we saw from uh faith and uh, faith and fury uh, from the Psychic Awakenings, and we've seen that reprinted in uh, the, I think it's uh, the Char- uh, the War Warzone um, yep. book two. I think they, they basically reprinted all of that Chaos Space Marine stuff, so it's been moved into the new edition. So I think when we get a Chaos Space Marine Codex, we're going to see that kind of stuff rolled into the main book and just the you know some stratagem updates uh, a few unit up like we'll see uh hell brutes have the minus one damage that we see for again thousand suns spoiler and uh death guard we're gonna see a lot of those those kind of unified uh but yeah mark like marks marks as keywords for stratagems and I think is where we're going to see things going because that's like, now we're seeing war gear as keywords for stratagems now. So I think marks are going to end up being the same kind of thing. And that worked out okay in eighth edition. Yeah. And you could all, and it still also allowed you to do things like, uh, world eaters or, uh, emperor's children out of those books where you could say, yeah, everything in this army has to have the corn or slanesh keyword respectively. So, I think we want to watch how big, how crazy we get with auras that are keyword specific, but I, I think it's going to end up being more legion specific than anything. So I, I don't think we're going to see like a major sea change from, from the way eighth edition chaos currently plays. If that makes any sense. 
Yeah. No, I think it does. Yeah, I think we'll just see individual units get touched up somewhat. And of course, point like point costs will go up because the ex- extra wounds and upgrade and unifying in like all the upgraded like weaponry uh, will go a long way. The one thing I would like to see, which I think is stupid that it's never been available in the Chaos Space Marine Codex, especially with the idea of there are like recent Chaos Renegades drop pods. Give Chaos Armies drop pods. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous that they don't have access to them. <laughs> That, that I'm, I'm like I, thousands, like uh, Death Guard and Thousand Sons. Yeah, they work a bit differently, but like stock Chaos Space Marines, give them drop pods. G- give them, give them that. What was the 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 one that the book that they the the supplement they released right at the end of Seventh Edition that gave us the Traitor Legion? Uh, it was the Traitor rules. Legion's book. Yeah, was it was it, was it just called Traitor Legion's? Okay. Yep. Uh, I my favorite part of that is there is a fluff section at the beginning that's really well written and really cool, and it is all about how Karn and the unit of berserkers that he's with are dropping onto a planet in a drop pod that they have stripped down and been like, yeah, we we want to feel it, so like we're not harnessed in, we're just feeling the G's, and it's like this is really awesome. I would love to be able to recreate this on the gaming table. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I can't because I can't take a drop pod <laughs> unless I want to buy like a Dreadclaw drop pod from Forge World. No, give me a pl- which give chaos drop, which pods. I have, but I don't want to buy another one because they're expensive. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what do I like to see in the, in the Ninth Edition Chaos Codex? Drop pods. That that's that's the main thing I want to see. Keep all the other stuff. Give them the two wound upgrade. And make them work more or less consistently with the other Chaos Legions we've seen and give them drop pods. That's it. That, that's all I want. And then our final letter is from Martin Crawley. And I want to throw out a, a, a thanks to the Bite Size Irish YouTube channel because Martin is apparently from Ireland and decided to, to hit us with some Gaelic. And I wanted to make sure I pronounce this somewhat correctly. <laughs> So uh, the Bite Size Irish YouTube channel, I'll put a link to the show notes, but it actually had videos specifically for these two phrases. <laughs> so I was very thankful. Uh, so Martin writes, Giagwitch, lads. I'm playing in my first team event soon, and my main faction is Orcs. However, a player ranked higher than me on our team has decided to use Orcs as his faction, and so I've been assigned Necrons, an army I'm very comfortable with and have played competitively for a while also. Have any of you had a 40k team experience where you've had to take one for the team, and did you enjoy it regardless of what you played with or against? Gorimagut, which is, thank you, uh, Martin. Um, we've actually never played a team event. So I, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if we can really say much to this particular topic, but I would totally as long as I had access to the army and I could get familiar with it. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd totally be fine with that. I'd say the closest thing we would have would be our uh, New Year's games where we would swap armies around. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I think is. Yeah, I think as long as you had a chance to, to kind of get familiar with the army, I think I think it'll be fun regardless. But yeah, I would say, you know, if it's a team situation where like you don't get to necessarily pick the army of of your preference, but you get uh you get put on a second one. I, I think, you know, as long as you, it's your team's like not doing it just to screw with you, but actually like are you good with like playing like somebody else wants to play that and technically their team leader or something, are you good with uh with with playing something else instead? 
I would recommend going into that with, uh, with, with a good nature. And it sounds like Martin has. So, uh, I would, I just enjoy playing more than anything. So, uh, I, I, I'm good with whatever. And, uh, like, like I said, we, we regularly, well, obviously not for a while because we're, uh, between pandemic and being, uh, geographically disparate right now. Um, we haven't had a really good chance to do our classic, uh, New Year's Army Switcheroo games, but, uh, we've always had a lot of fun doing that and trying out each other's armies. So if we were in a situation where we had to, like, like, I don't get to play, like, I don't get to play my Tau. Yay. But, uh, <laughs> but, like, I'll, I'm gonna have to play, like, uh, like, okay, well, it looks like I'll have to play Custodes or something. As long as I get a little bit of time to, to get up to speed on Custodes, I'll have fun doing, I doing what I do. I will be in KC for New Year's this year, so. Hey. Well, that's three <laughs> of us, so, um, yep. maybe you can wrangle in some other unknown fourth to play. Exactly. Or get Dennis to come up and visit or something. De- yeah, if we can get Dennis to come up and visit for New Year's, uh, I'll host. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely uh, like I I just enjoy playing. So if I had to if I had to take one for the team and not play my optimal build or op- optimal army, I'd be good with it. Yeah. Oh, is that also to my uh, trash American English uh, speaking you know, and listening ears? Your your Gaelic sounded fine. So I have no idea if it actually was, but it sounded fine. I, I actually like I copy pasted the pronunciation guide for, or like or transcribed it from the video into the into the letter. So I'd make sure I did it more or less right. I'm Martin's ears probably still feel like fingernails on chalkboard, but I, I did my best. <laughs> and if you want to hear us doing our best with your letter, whether that's uh, speaking a language we're not uh, familiar with or answering a letter about uh, the state of the game rules what we'd like to see uh if you want to trash talk with kevin more about soccer any number of subjects uh there's three good ways to get a message to us first is our email you can email us at our first names at preferred enemies which is rob at kevin at dennis at richard at or our first names at preferred enemies.com uh second is facebook we're at facebook.com slash preferred enemies you can like us there follow us uh we post when new episodes are coming uh updates on uh things that we're working on or takes on individual on particular pieces of news uh you can like us there and message us third is twitter we are twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular and we basically take questions and comments from all those sources collate them together throw them in the hopper and get through as many as we can in an episode and uh the hopper is now empty so if you want to get your letter in to be read on the air now's the time uh also if you want to help support the show we do have a patreon uh now if you do have the funds to support the show uh we prefer you put preference on helping people out in your area and using your wargaming powers for awesome. So whether that's uh, putting in time or money for like food banks, uh, rent funds, uh, helping, you know, trying to help out local businesses, you know, putting your money there. Uh, that's, that goes a long way to making the community better, which is what we'd really prefer. But if after that you still want to help support us, you can go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies and that's basically we use it as an online tip jar. Uh, we don't block any of our episodes behind a paywall. Everybody has access to everything we've ever recorded, although episodes, everything before episode 50 has been taken offline, A, because it's not accessible via iTunes, B, because we had to I didn't want to go over on our web hosting storage, which Patreon does help pay for. And uh, but that's also like way old content with our old sound recording and did 
would not sound good. So, uh, but everything else is available, uh, to the public. So you don't have to be a patron to hear everything. But if you want to help support the show, even if it's just a dollar a month, enough people put in a dollar, it helps out. For example, besides paying for hosting, it paid for Dennis's hotel room for, uh, Iron Halo. So he is there thanks to you, the listeners. Like you, the listeners help put him at Iron Halo. And so that's why after we have sponsor identification, you're going to get to hear his interview with Jason Horn from Iron Halo coming up next. And then after that, we'll come back to our main topic, which is our overview of the new Thousand Suns Codex. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Welcome to Preferred Enemies. This is Dennis, and I am here at the final Iron Halo. I'm here with Jason, who you've been putting it on for quite some time. Yes, I have. It's been a quite enjoyable experience. Uh, first Iron Halo was in 2015. I, I was there. You were there. Rob, yeah, was, Rob there. was there. Yeah. In that restaurant? Yeah. Yep. So the, full, full, full service menu, right? I do kind of miss that. Me that too. Was, that, was, that was actually... And they brought it to your table so you could yeah. eat while you were playing. I mean, yep. I don't think anyone would do that anymore. Cause <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, it's a lot of work. But yeah. uh, that, was a, that was a fun experience. And, and what got you to just start all of this? Well, uh, back in, in 2015, I went to a tournament in Arkansas. I got a good friend of mine, Andrew Taylor... Uh, asked a lot of questions about running events, and you know, four months after going to his event, I ran the first Iron Halo. Well, before you ran, you actually contacted us saying, "Hey, you, can you guys promote us?" And we're like, "Sure." Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So I was like, I knew I needed some type of marketing you know, to get our names <laughs> out there, and I was like, "Oh, I listen to these guys," and uh, contacted a couple other folks, and yeah, got 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 started with that. So our first first event was forty people, which was pretty amazing in 2015 and we steadily grown and so this year i think our numbers are a little lower because of covid but we're at uh 102 which is pretty awesome so so for the last iron halo 102 nate martin unfortunately you have still won this time (laughs) this time nate (laughs) and and this is actually is for on the rock ministries as well correct so uh, we are doing a raffle for a Warbringer Titan. And so uh, the Warbringer that we actually were going to have, unfortunately, had like a, uh, some bad paint on it. And so the weathering effects didn't work. So Viet is actually going to repaint the entire Warbringer uh, to the winner's uh, custom color scheme. That so is that's pretty, pretty awesome. But uh, what we're doing is we're raising money for On the Rocks eSports Arena. 
Oh, that's brand new. Yes. Idea. Yeah, it's a brand new thing. They got a new building, and they're building an eSports arena. And so all the money um, is going to be raised to, for computers. And each computer, because, you know, you want high-end with, yeah. like, graphics cards and all that other good stuff. It's going to be about $1,500. So Makes we hope sense. to raise four computers, and and uh, I think we've done a, a pretty good job so far. Oh, that's great, because I know we've also, what, helped out with Windows, helped out with the bus? Correct. That is exactly correct, and that was, uh, it's really cool that to see a organization that I really care about, you know, benefit from from the good, the good uh, using our, our, as Rob would say, <laughs> using our Wargamer powers for good. Exactly. And, I mean, it was also really fun being on or at On The Rock. Correct. Because when we were there, it it made you feel really much like a part of it. Correct. Uh, I've definitely I've definitely heard from many of our, our past attendees that On The Rock Ministries, the venue itself, was a very unique venue, very homely, uh, and had a very, very awesome vibe to it. It, uh, it really did. From the, from the, compared to, like, the different conventions, you know? Yeah. And also the gymnasium where it already had the cushy floor, so yes. your feet would like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing that right now. My feet are hurting. So far. oh, oh, I, I'm there with. I this has been like the first major tournament I've been to in in a couple of years, probably. Wow. And yeah, my feet are aching. My back is aching. Yeah, I, I, I could blame it on getting old, but I think it's just I, I haven't played enough to build up the stamina for standing around doing wargaming for twelve hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we all got to get back in wargaming shape, right? We, we really do. I mean, you, it's weird to say that, but no, you're, you're right. No, so, um, and this one looks to be, like you said, it's 102 people. It's been really successful here, um, and it's been, you, this is what, the third or fourth year it's been on stream, too? Yes, yeah. Uh, so, uh, obviously, we just finished all the streaming. Yes. And it is, uh, I think we started streaming... Was it the second year at On the Rock? So yeah, it's probably it's probably like four years. Yeah, second or third year. Yeah, so four years of streaming and and it's been pretty awesome. You know, I carry all our stream equipment to a lot of different events and support that. And so it's been it's been quite a enjoyable experience to to meet top level players from across uh, the region and just hang out and, yeah. and get to know people. And uh, four years ago, I remember it seemed more to, when I first got here and you were setting up. It seemed like a novelty, and now you see streaming everywhere. Yes. Yes. Which is really nice, and and also shout out to the Lord Marshall's conference, the, all all those streamcasters that we had, shoutcasters right. here too. It, it's well, they weren't here here, but right, you guys we, know what I mean. We, we do a lot of virtual <laughs> shoutcasting, and that's that's the cool thing about 40k is you have that community all across the world. And uh, I've been fortunate to develop relationships with people in in England, and Australia, and Canada, and obviously here in the United States. And we have a passion for Warhammer, and we. You know, whenever I go to LVO or the larger events, um, I see folks uh, from across the world, and we we talk like we've we've never missed a beat. <laughs> and that's the best part about 40, uh, Warhammer 40k. Yeah. So I guess this is one of the burning questions some of us have: is what next? What 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 is your plans? Man, that's a really great question. <laughs> <laughs> I like to ask my wife that, so she'll probably my wife will probably say, "Well, honey, you know, we gotta we gotta hang up the rails and clean up the house and clean up clean up your room because it's all messy." Oh, I'm just kidding. I love my wife; she's pretty awesome. So uh, thank you, Stephanie, for letting me do all this. You are amazing. But uh, in all reality, I don't know. Um, obviously, I think some people are aware that, um, you know, I've been running the Iron Halo for seven years. I've also been commissioner for the Lord Marshall Conference 
for five years, and I'm actually taking a step back in both roles, uh, just to you know uh, get get some of my passion, I guess, back in the hobby. And I think that's an okay thing. That was you know, perfectly. If you feel like you're burning out, uh, instead of you know having a mental breakdown, I think it's okay to take a step back, say, hey, I want to stop doing this for a little bit, and that's okay because that's for you. And so uh, I'm excited that I've got uh, uh, on the Lord Marshal side. I got Brian Hunter, who's going to be taking over as commissioner, and he'll have uh, you know day to day operations, and he'll ha- he'll bring some awesome ideas to the conference that I didn't think of, and that's what I'm I'm fired up about is that we have someone else that's going to be pitching their ideas and their way of doing things, and it'll just make the conference even stronger. So so Brian, I'm rooting for you, man, and I'm excited to grow in the journey with you. And those are good words, and I'll, I'll echo what Jason said there. That I mean, all of us have faced burnout at one point, and it's it's definitely okay to step away, step back, just until you, like he said, find your passion again. So I think I still have my passion, but I think it's like at fifty percent. No, I, I think we've all been there. I, even yeah. me, Rob, Kevin, yeah. Richard, all of us have had, have been there. So, um, Jason, I've just got to say that it's been a wild ride. Seven yeah. years, five. I've been here. Um, yep. Five. Rob was here, so yeah. I got my my dog Both tags. And got yeah. some dog tags. Which so. these these uh, these were a surprise when we first saw them, and I really love them. This is a great treat to have. Right. Um, so if you're not aware, uh, at the Iron Halo, if you have attended five years, you get these personalized dog tags with the year that you got the five year service. So um, we appreciate all of our awesome participants and we just want to award them with something to keep that is personalized so um yeah yeah i'm glad you like them glad rob likes them and i think that's one thing we'll say the iron halo it felt like a very personal experience and tournament so thank you for putting it on and um Seven long years. We'll we'll see what's next step, but we're yeah. we're gonna miss. You this. never know. You I never know. know. <laughs> I mean, I might be like a year, right? I mean, like oh, I gotta do it again, and my wife would be like, "No, you can't." So anyway, she's ready to get all the train out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> but Jason, thank you so much for putting this on in the past. Thank you for much for running it now, and thank you for here um, spending some time to chat about it. Absolutely, glad to be here. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks, Rob, and uh, Kevin, and Richard. <laughs> I I knew who it was. I just wanted to make sure. (laughs) Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a game mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're
we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is our overview of the Thousand Suns Codex. Uh, but first, uh, uh, the Sunday update for what is coming next week has been announced. Uh, part of it is, as we talked about in the first section, uh, the Joy Toy uh, Vanguard Space Marine Incursors and Infiltrators will be available for sale next week and, like, next week only. So uh, if you want them, jump in on them. So uh, by the time you're hearing this, this week and this week only – and uh, then the rest of the orc line is being released, including the kill rig, hunter rig kit, the pain boss. Let's see, the uh, beast boss on Squigasaur, which also makes uh, Mazrog Scrag bad. Uh, so I think that finishes up. Well, we do we have we don't have the Def Coptas as a standalone kit yet, do we? They're uh, still used uh, in the combat patrol. No, not yet. Yeah, not yet. So, so a lot of the orc stuff, but not all of the orc stuff. And the the war boss in, in mega armor. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Is he still yeah. only in the combat patrol box? Yeah. The joke would be if they never actually released them as standalone kits, because that would be consistent. Hey. Right. <laughs> we'll uh. never <laughs> Defcopt is never available outside a starter product. This is why we can't have nice things. Exactly. No nice things for you. <laughs> or the old fine cast. Oh, no. No. Those were, those, were, those were bad when they were metal. That was a bad-looking kit when it was metal. So, yep. No. I, I, have a, I have a set of those metals. Yeah. Yeah. You wish you didn't. Uh. <laughs> ah, but anyway... <laughs> uh, so, from our, uh, from that, let's move on to the actual, uh, codex overview. As I mentioned earlier, this codex was provided to us for review by Games Workshop. So, if you don't know much about the Thousand Suns, they are actually one of the founding legions, uh, one of the founding chapters of Space Marines that embarked upon the Great Crusade along with the Emperor of Mankind. And once upon a time, they were a nice, loyal legion of the Emperor. And in fact, the Thousand Sons were not a faction that really threw in with Horus when the heresy occurred. In fact, uh, Magnus the Red, uh, the, the primarch of the Thousand Sons Legion, tried to warn the Emperor about what was, what was going down. There was a problem, though. Hashtag uh, Magnus did nothing wrong. Uh, hash, <laughs> hashtag Magnus did not mean to do anything wrong, but did, <laughs> did very wrong. <laughs> hashtag hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> the hell's paved with good intentions. With like that's honestly that's the yeah, that's, that's the, the uh, yeah that is the story of the thousand suns right there in, in multiple ways. <laughs> so up to that point, like the like space marines had started really like investigating the use of psychic phenomenon and forming the librarius. Uh, Kind of like the early versions of the Librarius uh, during the the Great Crusade, and I believe it was at the Council of Nicaea, not to be confused with the Council of Nicaea that was used to formulate the backbone of Christian theology. The Council of Nicaea basically is where the Emperor outlawed the use of sorcery and and psychic powers by the Space Marine Legions, and everybody more or less went along with it, except the Thousand Sons had really been into doing sorcery. And they're like, well, okay, but also we're going to do it anyway, just keep it on the down low. But then Magnus found out about 
uh, the Horus Heresy. He actually tried to tell Horus not to do it. If you've read any of the uh, uh, the Horus Heresy novels, Magnus really did try to do the right thing at first. And so he's like, well, I need to get a message to the Emperor that we'll get there fast enough so that he is warned that, like, Horus is taking these legions rogue. And so he's like, well, what's the fastest way I know to get him a message? I'll use sorcery. You know, the thing he specifically banned. Ah, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> well, see, this the Emperor, the reason, like, Horus had been made War Master at this time and was kind of leading the crusade was because the Emperor had retreated from that to work on a project that would allow humanity to no longer have to use the warp to traverse space. He was working on access to the webway. And he was real close to getting it finalized. And then Magnus sent him this big source, this big message with sorcery trying to warn him. And the interaction of the two broke the webway project. Womp womp. And so not only did he ruin, like he broke the rules that the emperor himself had set, but he also broke the emperor's pet project to make humanity no longer dependent on the warp. So the Emperor wasn't real pleased about this and sent the space or sent the space wolves to basically collect slash correct the thousand suns. And I believe there's, there's some fluff in there somewhere, you know, cause the, the way the storytelling is with, with the stuff, it's shifted a bit over the years, but I also believe there was some misdirection by Horace as far as like, should they just collect them or should they purge them? And so the space will showed up to the world of Prospero, which was uh, the home world of the Thousand Suns, and basically just started killing and burning everything. And as one can imagine, the Thousand Suns were not terribly pe- pleased with this. And so the Thousand Suns and specifically Magnus made a deal with the Chaos God Zinch, who was the god of magic and change and fate, to get away. And so they basically teleported as much as they could, including, I believe, the entire city of Tizka, to the Eye of Terror. And if it had just ended there, that would have been bad enough because now we had a legion that was basically now enthralled to a different Chaos God and openly practicing sorcery and so that's that's bad and one who has a personal vendetta against the space wolves and by extension the empire the the imperium also bad but zinch also doesn't tend to like people's bodies to stay the way they are and so the thousand suns found themselves starting to mutate a, a rather lot <laughs> And so, like, one of the, the most power, so, and, and Magnus was kind of like retreated in his tower, trying to just, I think he was more pouting than anything, but also trying to, like, I think at this point he had fully become a demon prince or demon primarch. But around this time, one of the head, you know, one of the higher ranked Thousand Sons by the name of Aramon, who a name you might f- be familiar with from 40k lore, decided he was going to figure out how to fix this uh, mutation issue once and for all. Because he was tired of seeing his uh, his brothers in arms basically becoming so flesh warped that they were no longer space marines. And he solved the problem. Oh, yes. He did, he he did solve the problem. He solved it was the a- problem. He's uh, very thoroughly, <laughs> I might add. Yes. <laughs> so he he 
he conducted a ritual, which is now known as the rubric of Armon, to to fix the mutation problem in all the non-Psyker Thousand Sons. And it worked by basically sealing them to their suits and reducing the contents inside to dust. <laughs> so their souls are bound to the suits, but their personalities really aren't. <laughs> and there's no bodies in there to mutate any anymore, which is why Thousand Sun Marines are known as Rubric Marines, because uh, they, they've been permanently changed. And... Armon, for this, was effectively banished from the Thousand Suns. Magnus came out of his tower and was not pleased with what he'd done. And so, like, he still has access to Thousand Suns forces and such, but he's not really welcome with the rest of the Thousand Suns. And so, he's been on a quest to acquire as much knowledge as possible, including trying to raid the Black Library in the Webway, to find information on how to possibly reverse the rubric. You'll note it's been like 10,000 years, give or take, because time is weird in the warp, but it's been 10,000 years, and they're still all dusty marines. Which is why the phrase, all is dust, is very common with the uh, Thousand Suns. <laughs> But yes, because of this, the Thousand Sons are effectively a legion of all sorcerers who have automaton soldiers at their at their command. They and as I mentioned, they have had a yeah they, they've had a longstanding grudge with the Space Wolves, which has uh, which actually came to a head in Seventh uh, Edition during the Wrath of Magnus storyline event, where they decided to take the fight back to. Uh, Space Wolves' homeworld of uh, Fenris and try to basically do to them what they had done to the Thousand Suns. Now, they weren't fully successful, but it was a mess. And that was also the the event that gave us our gave us the model of uh, Magnus the Red, who I believe was the first Demon Primarch model. Yes. That we got in plastic and uh, was a very, like, really set the scene for the other one that we have, which is Mortarian. Keep hoping we'll get more. <laughs> but hope so. <laughs> and, and so that basically, that's the, the background of the Thousand Suns and explains why they have the units they have. They also have access to uh, Zangor, which are basically Zinch-tainted beastmen who have horns and beaks. And Zinch has a lot of bird motifs, so you'll see that around, worked into the armor and designs a lot. Yep. And uh, so they're basically in the service of themselves and Zinch as they carry out plans and revenge and knowledge gathering throughout the galaxy. Uh, they've also broken into a series of cults, which are akin to chapters or Grey Knight Brotherhoods or the like. That's their sub-faction that they have here. And whereas cults were kind of – was something that was introduced in Ritual of the Damned, um, it is now firmly integrated into this where there are – like a lot of your characters will only have keywords that affect their particular cult. Um, there are nine of them. You're going to see the number nine a lot because – Thousand Sun serves Zinch. Zinch's magic number is nine. Unfortunately, nine can be derived from a 3d3 roll. So it all ends up working out nicely. So the nine cults are the cult of change, which just wants chaos. They do, they just want nothing to stay static. The cult of duplicity, which are all liars, or are they? Hmm. 
the cult of prophecy who claim to be able to see the future, although knowing Zinch, it's probably all lies and mutable. The cult of manipulation, which wants to make other people do what they want them to do. The cult of time, which basically sees time as a flat circle, and they're going to be on any point of that particular pizza that they want to be. The cult of magic, self-explanatory. The cult of mutation, not fans of the rubric, I imagine. Uh, The cult of scheming, which doesn't seem that different than the cult of duplicity and manipulation, but they're they're more into making the plots themselves rather than lying or manipulating people to fall for them. And the cult of knowledge, which just wants to accumulate as much lore and knowledge as possible. And so, and also I do like that they show like exalted sorcerers from, let's see, do they, I think from all of them getting like illustrations of them all and seeing, and and some description of them kind of gives you a lot of feel for how they all work. So like, the sorcerer of the, the exalted sorcerer of the cult of time is like blurry and indistinct as he's coming in and out of timelines. The mm-hmm. sorcerer of the cult of mutation has tendrils and tentacles peeking out through every gap in his armor. Um, you know, just stuff like that. I really liked. Okay. They don't, they don't have all of them, but they, they show like, they show like six of them. But I, I thought that was a, a nice touch. To just kind of really drive home, this is how these, how different these cults are, and how much they can shape how a Thousand Suns force would behave. Mm-hmm. They also do that, like when they show color plates for or like photos of different models. Like up front, they show that uh, not all Thousand Suns are going to be in blue and gold, which is traditionally how you've seen them, like blue and gold Egyptian style garb. Like the Egyptian d- designs are built into the plastic, you know, into the model design. But there's some that are like the classic red and gold that used to be their colors when they were loyal legionaries. Or maybe you like a, a more of a baby blue and gold or gold with blue trim instead of the other way around. So you don't have to be stuck into one particular style of color scheme if you're playing Thousand Suns also, which is is nice. It's, it's, it's nice to see that in these armies where like you get some flexibility to play around with hobby wise while still being absolutely fluff appropriate. If, if that's something that's important to you. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to get into the rules. Um, and again, they can't decide if they're where they want to put the chapter approved rules. Sometimes they're at the end of the, uh, rule segment. Sometimes like this book, they're right at the beginning. And again, this is something we don't really want to talk about until we know what this army actually does and whether these objectives are any good for you. So we'll start off at, page 44 with detachment abilities and a lot of this is stuff that similar to what we saw with death guard you can't have more cultists than you do rubric marines or scarab occult terminators um you can't include more bray units which is like your zangors and such uh than you do rubric marines and scarab occult terminators there's the jealous tyrant rule you can only have one demon prince in each thousand sons detachment in your army now you don't have the death guard limitation of like one lord or one you can have multiple exalted sorcerers and multiple sorcerers and there's even a way to get fit more of those in than you than you should be able to and then the other rule and this one's very important because this affects almost everything in the army is the brotherhood of sorcerers rule and this rule takes the place of some rules that were like data sheet specific and just puts them all in one place and this is also something that you only get in a thousand suns detachment so if you were doing a mixed chaos detachment for some reason you would lose this power you don't want to do that this is very good for you because 
Add one to all psychic tests taken for this unit, which you're going to be taking a lot of. This is a very psychic heavy army. And if this unit is Arcana Astartes, which is their specific Space Marine keyword, or Zangor, each model in this unit has a five up and vulnerable save. And yes, that does include like their tanks and their hell brutes and stuff like that. So like Mm -hmm. almost everything in this army has a five up and vulnerable at least. Yeah, basically everything except cultists and demons. But the demons tend to have one anyway, so... Sure, sure. Yeah, it's basically like cultists are the low man on the totem pole here, which they really should be. Like, this should not be an army that leans on cultists. Yeah, agreed. You have Legion Command upgrades, which are very similar to what we've seen, like Space Marine upgrades. Uh, this one is is a lot different than what we saw with, like, the the various like little unit upgrades that you could get for like gray knights. This is more just traditional like this particular model can take this upgrade for like one power and anywhere from 10 to 35 points, depending on what it is. Uh, So like there's three for exalted sorcerers. There's three for sorcerers or sorcerers and terminator armor. And there's three for like your aspiring sorcerers that are in like rubric Marines or scarab occult Marine units. And it could be anything from like Exalted Sorcerer could for 25 points could take a Rahati. They uh, can manifest an additional psychic power in their psychic phase. So that is a really good power. Or um, maybe you want uh, for your like your units of Rubric Marines, Ardent Automata. If this unit's for 20 points, if this model's unit is performing an action, the model's unit can shoot without that action failing. Really good if you are you know, wanting to score actions with these units. So uh, these are all things you can do. You can't take any of these Legion command abilities, you know, more than once per, per army. But, uh, and again, and no model can have more than one of them. But I I do like, I like having this here. I think it's a lot cleaner than some of the other uh, upgrade things we've seen. Um, Some of them will be more, you know, more specific than those. You do have to do this during the army building process. So you kind of want to plot out, your strategy when you take them. Like, for example, Battle Psyker changes mis- models, ballistic skill, and weapon skill characteristic to 2 plus and change its attack characteristic to 5. That's for sorcerers or sorcerers and terminator armor. You don't look at the army that you're playing, like, I want to go assaulty. It's like you during your army building, you're like, okay, I want this yeah. this guy to be more of an assault character. So you'd make that change, that decision then. Uh, then we get into cults of the Legion. We, we talked about what the basic themes of all nine of those are. Because there's nine of them, I'm not even going to give these as much detail as I did the Brotherhoods for, for Grey Knights. Uh, each one gets a psychic power, and much like the psychic powers for Grey Knights, every psyker in your army from this cult knows this power in addition to anything else they already know. Uh, and then a warlord trait they can choose and sorcerer's arcana relic that they can use. And uh, if you have read Ritual of the Damned, these nine entries are very, very similar to what was in Ritual of the Damned. The, a few of them have had some small tweaks, but they're very, very close. So, like, I'll pick out one to give you an idea. Uh, let's go with uh, Cult of Magic. Cult of Magic. Uh, their psychic power is Astroblast, uh, which fire ability with a deep warp charge of value of six. 
if manifested, the closest enemy unit within 12 inches of and visible to this psyker suffers D3 mortal wounds, and each other unit within 3 inches of that unit suffers a mortal wound. So it's a, uh, it's like, a, it's yet another smite style attack, but that also does collateral damage. A warlord trait of devastating sorcery. Once per psychic phase, when you attempt to manifest either smite or witchfire psychic power of this warlord, you can re-roll that psychic test. So, hey, your astral blast didn't go off. Re-roll it. And then Sorceress Arcana, their relic is Arcane Focus. If your army is a Cabal of Sorcerers, which we'll get to, uh, the bearer has the following ability, Arcane Focus. At the start of your psychic phase, select one friendly Cult of Magic Psyker unit within six inches of the bearer. Until the end of the phase, each time you would use a Cabalistic Ritual on this unit, it costs one fewer Cabal points. So that is their special ability. We've touched about a, touched on it a little bit when they first kind of announced this, but we'll dig into it a bit more. But yeah, basically every one of these cults has this kind of thing going on where some of the psychic powers are like most of them are either blessings or uh, mal, you know, like blessings. So they're buffs or debuffs and ma- blessings or maledictions. Cult of magic is actually one of the only ones that has a, a witch fire ability. And then their warlord traits are all generally focused on making the warlord themselves better in some aspect that fits the particular cult. One of the only ones that's an aura is Cult of Scheming, which is while within three inches of this warlord, friendly Cult of Scheming units gain the objective secured ability. Uh, If they already have objective secured, then they count as double. So, like, that's one where Cult of Scheming, you actually do want to kind of play your warlord around your units for scoring. But uh, just uh, with, like I said, with nine options, look through them all, figure out which one fits kind of where you want to go with the army, which, uh, which power, which, uh, like, which psychic power you like to use. I did not see an ability in here. I may have missed it. But unlike the Grey Knights one where they had, like, one of the tides that would allow them to use their Brotherhood ability repeatedly, with uh, you know, with the the warp charge count going up the way Smite does, I did not see one for the cults. So basically, these powers will be usable like once per psychic phase. Um, we'll skip strats and su- and warlord traits and such until we like. We'll come back to that once we know what the units do for Crusade. They basically um, earn arcane points, which they can then spend for buying arcane rewards. So like. If you win a battle with with particular agendas, you get an arcane point. At the end of the battle, if you control one or more objectives with a thousand sun psyker, you get a campaign or an arcane point. If you destroyed an enemy character unit with a warlord trader relic with a psyker unit, you get a ca- arcane point. Destroy a psyker character with a thousand sun psyker unit from your crusade army. So, like, you can earn four different arcane points a game, and then as you earn them. Uh, in your crusade list, you can eventually spend them on on upgrades or new psychic powers that are available. So a, a much simpler arca- uh, crusade system than we've seen with some other armies. There's not like a, a big intricate system. It's just like, do these four things with your army and you'll earn points and then you can spend those points on cool upgrades. And then getting into data sheets where we get the rest of our army rules... Um, yes, great cult keyword. You pick a great cult. We just talked about that. Abilities. They have malicious volleys, which is their bolter ability. If they're within half range, if you're infantry and you remain stationary, or if you're a terminator, you get full range on your rapid fire. 
uh, teleport strike, which only applies to a few units, mainly the terminators. Uh, you can deep strike. And then Sorceress Master, each time a psychic power is manifested by this unit, each time this unit would attempt to perform a psychic action, and each time this unit would deny the witch, you draw a line of sight from the specific Aspiring Sorcerer or Scarab Cult Sorcerer model. So this is for those units like Rubric Marines and Scarab Terminators where there's one Psyker embedded in a unit of non-Psykers. So no longer do you draw a line of sight from the unit. You have to actually draw a line of sight from the particular guy casting the Psychic Power or doing the denying. Which, this is just a rule that makes it more fluff accurate. Mm-hmm. And, I th- and I'm fine with that. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And then the Kabbalistic Rituals rule... Uh, this is this is the more complex system that this army has, and it's still not that difficult. But uh, basically, if every unit in your army, excluding unaligned units, so like terrain doesn't count, uh, has the Thousand Suns keyword, your army becomes a Cabal of Sorcerers. At the start of your Psychic Phase, if your army is a Cabal of Sorcerers, generate Cabal points for your army for each model with this ability that is on the battlefield. So if you have Magnus the Red, the Demon Primarch, that's four points per turn. If you have Aramon, an Exalted Sorcerer, or a Thousand Suns Demon Prince, that's three points. Uh, Sorcerer, Sorcerer, and Terminator Armor, or Infernal Master, that's two points. And for occult, uh, Scarab Occult Sorcerers, Aspiring Sorcerers, and Zangor Shamans, that's a point. So if you had Aramon, a Demon Prince, Magnus, and three units of Rubric Marines, that'd be four, five, six, seven, eight. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 points a turn that you're earning. And then in your psychic phase, you can spend any Cabal points you have to use Kabbalistic rituals from the list below. Each time you do, you just spend those points. At the end of the psychic phase, any unspent Cabal points are lost. So you can't bank them for something later on in the turn. And the most expensive thing here is 9 points. So spend what you got and know that early in the game is when you're going to have more of them. As you start losing Psyker characters, your pool of points is going to get smaller and smaller. So like this is a system that encourages you to kind of go big early because if you take a bad alpha strike, you're, you literally can't recover. Like you've, you know, like you'll have lost that Kabbalistic output. And this can be anything from. Like the the weakest power is th- for three points is cabal uh, or three cabal points is is warp sight when or use this ritual when a psychic power is successfully manifest successfully manifested by a unit from your army if the psychic power requires you to select a unit visible to the psyker for that manifestation you can select a unit visible to any friendly unit with the cabalistic rituals ability so basically line of sight from anybody who could do it that's only three points. All the way up to like nine points, like I said, the most expensive one, which is Wrath of the Immaterium for nine points. Use this ritual after taking a psychic test for your ar- for a unit for your army. Add two to that psychic test, which for nine points could be the difference between a power going off and not going off. It could be the difference between a smite and a super smite because it's just you do it after the roll. So like you know what the result is. Add two to it if you need it to pass. But then also there's, like, if you just need a power to go off for seven points, you can do Pack from Beyond. Use this ritual when attempting to manifest a psychic power with a unit from your army. Do not make a psychic test. The psychic test is passed at the minimum required warp charge value. So, uh, now that does mean, like, for example, let's, you did that with a smite. You're gonna, your smite basically will be treated as going off at a five, which means you'll get the minimal effect and, 
if somebody tries to deny it, they just have to beat a five. So mm-hmm. keep that in mind. And a unit can only benefit from one Kabbalistic ritual a turn or in, in a phase. So, there, for example, there's for eight points, there's Kabbalistic focus, which is after psychic uh, test made for a unit from your army is passed, that power or psychic action cannot be denied. So if for some reason you had 15 Cabal points to spend, you cannot make a power go off, like have a unit cast a power automatically at the minimum score and have it automatically be undeniable. Like you you could do one or the other, you can't do both. Uh, all of these are tied into to psychic abilities, but um, these are all going to make your psychic psychic powers either harder to deal with, easier to cast, easier to target, give you more range... They even there's one that gives you a, a psychic action to gain a command point. This is a really good system for this army. Like I, there's no downside to using this. This this is going to be key to what you do in this army because it makes everything you're likely to do with this army better. Right. And you know, other than keeping track of, you know, what it reminds me of, it reminds me of Corn Demonkin. Yeah, yeah, for sure, because it does kind of. Yeah, it has a, a similar to that the blood tithe system. Although you you didn't reset that every turn, but yeah, um, yeah, it, it it is a very similar system, or like um, I guess kind of like you know power from pain or stuff like that that some of the older versions that like the Drakari used to have and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's a resource you have to track, but it should be I think it'll be relatively straightforward to keep track of. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it does reset every turn, you basically will know going into your psychic phase, okay, who do I have left on the table? I'll have this many points. If you just have like something written down, like a list with all your characters and just knowing who's still on the board, like mm-hmm. you'll be able to keep, like know how many points you have and not having to keep track of it turn after turn also makes it, it makes it harder for players to fudge the numbers so i like that aspect of it there's actually it's there's really not bookkeeping other than knowing how many powers how many points you have available on a given turn rather than Mm -hmm. turn after turn but also because it does depend on your your pool of available points on a given turn that's why i said it benefits you to try to use them as much as you can early because later in the game you will probably have fewer of these points available and because they don't accrue over time, there's no getting them back. So just do what you can with them when you've got them. But also you, there's no reason with this army that you shouldn't have at least 10 points a turn, probably like anywhere from 10 to 15 easily. Yeah. And so let's look at the actual, uh, units themselves, uh, a lot of these, the main, many of them stayed very similar. Uh, the f- few changes I really noted were uh, either things that got rolled into that Brotherhood of Psychers detachment rule. So, like a lot of five up and vulnerable saves seem to disappear, but it's really just because they've been rolled into a detachment wide rule. Also, the standard uh, plus one wound for all Space Marines, unless they were in Terminator armor, then they don't get any additional wounds. Um, and uh, they lost death to the death of the false emperor, so instead they just all have an extra attack. So across the board on space marine bodies, we see plus one attack. We see plus one wound on most things. 
And I, th- I think that was fine. They, you know, it, it brings them up to the point where they need to be. Armon is pretty much the same as he was before. You can take him on a disc or not. Uh, he basically acts like a, a captain and that he's got a, you know, core units with any Thousand Suns core unit within six inches of him can reroll, uh, hit rolls of one. He is not tied to a particular cult. And in fact, I don't believe he prevents you, like, much like Magnus, he does not prevent you from being in a cult. Because cults don't have a trait, they just give you a psychic power that you know. You don't have that same same limitation as, mm. uh, and in fact, uh, if your army is battleforged, you cannot include uh, units from two different great cults in the same detachment. Aramon does not belong to any one cult and so can be included in any Thousand Suns detachment. So again, he doesn't interfere with your ability to be in a cult. He does know... Uh, th- Smite and three psychic powers. He can cast three and deny three. Um, and he knows three psychic powers from the dis- disciplines of change and or vengeance. Um, let's talk about those real quick. Because they used to have three in their book because one of them was for uh, Zinch Demons, which were available in the Codex. Uh, all the Zinch Demons have been pulled out besides like the Thousand Suns Demon Prince and uh, Demon Engines and... Magnus, they're still in there, but like horrors, flamers, screamers, things like that, those are all gone. And so they they pulled those out of the codex. So they pulled the psychic powers for them out. But so now because there's there's two psychic disciplines in here, and if you look at them comparing them to the previous psychic disciplines they had, um, there was the dis- discipline of change, which was like the Thousand Suns specific one, and then they used to have Dark Hereticus, which was the like generic chaos space marine uh, psychic discipline. Well, they no longer have dark Hereticus, but that's what discipline of vengeance is. It is almost one for one. Like the first six powers are almost one for one maps to dark Hereticus. You'll notice they say first six because they don't just have six powers per discipline. They have nine because Zinch <laughs> like discipline of change. Uh, has some, you know, some classics such as Doombolt or Zinch's Firestorm. I mean, these are things that we've seen in the, you know, in, in multiple versions of Thousand Suns. Like Doombolt is Warp Charge 6. If manifested, the closest enemy unit within 18 inches invisible to a Psyker suffers three mortal wounds, which is an upgrade because it used to be D3. Or uh, Zinch's Firestorm, which is Power number one, uh, Zinch's Firestorm has a warp charge value six. If manifested, select one enemy unit within 18 inches of and visible to the Psyker and roll 9d6. For each roll of six, the enemy unit suffers a mortal wound. If the result of the psychic test was an unmodified 9+, because Zinch, uh, then they suffer mortal wounds uh, for each roll of five up instead. If you are familiar with the discipline of change from the previous version... The first, like, five powers are straight from that chart. Uh, They did get rid of anything that turns units, like, turns enemy units or replaces your units with Chaos Spawn. That piece of the game is gone entirely. (laughs) Yeah, I'm fine with that. (laughs) Yeah, that was always a mess. Um, There is some Chaos Spawn stuff left. Well, uh, you can take Chaos Spawn in your army, but anything about, like, suffering spawndom or getting upgraded to a demon prince or anything like that has been moved to crusade rules. So like the chaos boon chart is in the crusade rules section. 
And frankly, that's where it should be. Let's do it in fun narrative play. Keep it out of matched play because it's just a mess. And it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's more trouble than it's worth. Uh, but there are some new abilities because obviously there were, there were six. There are now nine. So for example, Cacodemic or Cacodemonic Curse is power number 31, which yeah, power number seven has a warp charge value six. If manifested, select one enemy unit within 18 inches of this psyker uh, until the start of your next psychic phase, subtract one from the strength characteristic of ranged weapons model that unit are equipped with. All three of these are like blessings or maledictions. And then over on Dis- Discipline of Vengeance, like I said, uh, these are all one for one with the old disciplines. So, for example, if I looked at the old psychic power list, Infernal Gaze has become Gaze of Hate. Death Hex is now Twist of Fate. Dark, uh, Gift of Chaos is Dark Blessing. Prescience is Presage. Diabolic Strength is now Swelled by the Warp. You got Swole. And Warp Time is uh, Temporal Surge. Although Warp Time is also now, or I should say, Temporal Surge is now specific that it lets you move Thousand Suns, Infantry, Cavalry, or Beasts units within six inches of the Psyker. So, yeah, no uh, Magnus uh, slingshotting himself forward. Aww. Sorry. But don't worry, Magnus is fine. When we get to Magnus... it was way funnier when you could slingshot Mortarian with Magnus, but anyway. Because yeah, they were both heretic Astartes, but yeah, now it's specifically to, like, Thousand Suns. I guess that's better for game balance, if less fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, game balance is also fun because there's nothing fun about having two Demon Primarchs slingshotted into your face, like, turn, it's, it's funny turn to one me. or two. It's funny if you're the me. one with the if you <laughs> yeah. got the primarchs, <laughs> or no, it was slingshotting a uh, sling. I remember Mort- I saw one game that was a Lord of Skulls, Magnus, and Mortarian, yeah, yeah. and the uh-huh. Lord of Skulls getting slung shot into somebody. Yeah, it's really hilarious unless you're playing a good player who uh, just can take it and then uh, and then beat your ass the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But then, like, other powers are um, Empiric Guidance, a blessing that you select a th- friendly Thousand Suns unit within 12 inches, and they add 6 inches to the range of their rapid fire and heavy weapons. Or uh, Psychic Stalk, uh, which is actually stalking as in stalking somebody, not stalk as in, like, a stalk of corn or an eye stalk. Um, Could uh, be either. You select an enemy. You select an enemy unit that's not a vehicle, monster, or character within 18 inches invisible to the Psyker. Roll 2d6 if it's greater than their unmodified leadership. So no leadership bombs or anything. You have to beat their actual printed leadership. Uh, then a model in that unit is uh, selected by your opponent is slain. So just kill a guy. But you don't get to pick which guy. Or desecration of worlds. Select an enemy unit within 24 inches invisible to the Psyker until the next Psychic phase. Um, they take a mortal wound anytime on a, if you roll, anytime they try to move, they, you roll a d6. If it's a six, they take a mortal wound. It's like the less good version of the Brotherhood power that does the same thing. Cause I think that was mm-hmm. on a four up. But still, having 18 powers to choose from lets you really tailor your sorcerers. And that's not counting the great cult of, or like their cult ability that they're going to have too. So, You've got tons of psychic options in this book. And, and so that's, that's Armon. Armon is the, probably the best non-demons, like non-demon Primarch psyker they have. For sure. 
Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Thousand Suns Demon Prince, he got like all the Demon Prince upgrades that we've seen. So like his his axe and his uh sword are plus one strength higher. So like more damage. Um but you can take them with wings for better movement. They do have an extra attack because, again, they roll Death of the False Emperor into an extra attack. So Demon Princes hit like freight trains. Um, they still have an aura. Of, they they do have the Great Cult keyword. So they have an aura. Uh, they have like the Captain Aura, but it only affects their particular cult. And they can do two psychic powers and deny one. Uh, then we get to the Infernal Master, which is basically the what-if sorcerer, but also chaplain. So he only knows, like, one psychic power and can deny one, and uh, does know two Infernal Packs, which are basically their equi- equivalent of litanies, which uh, are a little bit more aggressive, I think, than than most litanies are. So, for example, they have packs of... Um, like one of them is effectively a non-psychic uh, attack. You know, it's like if this pact is successful, select an enemy unit within thirty inches of and visible to the infernal master. Uh, the unit contains six or more models. They suffer a mortal wound and then subtract two from their advance and charge rolls as they try to walk through a maelstrom of blades. Or um, uh, if this pact, Diabolic Savant, if this pact is successful at the start of your next psychic phase, if your army is a cabal of sorcerers, you generate an additional cabal point. And Infernal Masters are already worth two cabal points themselves. Uh, yeah, here's one. Uh, Capering Imps, if your pact is successful, select an enemy unit within 24 inches of invisible to the Infernal Master until the next start of your next command phase. That unit cannot receive the benefit of cover, cannot fire overwatch, and cannot set to defend. So... Uh, you have a lot of ways of messing with your opponent with Infernal Packs. I think the Infernal Master is actually going to be a really good choice, if not as an HQ, like a lead HQ, definitely as like the support HQ in a in like a battalion detachment. Yeah, I think so too. And, and by being a psyker as well, you don't you don't in this army you don't have the trade off that you often have with like a chaplain character. It's like, well, I'd like to take a chaplain, but man, I could really really prefer to have like a captain. In this case, it's like your choices are between a sorcerer or an exalted sorcerer or an infernal master. What you're trading up for is I may I'll take fewer psychic options, but the infernal master gets two non psychic abilities that kind of work like psychic, you know, like have similar effects to psychic abilities. So it's a fair trade off, I think. I, and they're not terribly expensive, like point wise. Yeah, they're, they're 90 points, which is the same as a, re- as a regular sorcerer. So they're mm. one of the cheaper HQ options for this army. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, then we get into sorcerers and exalted sorcerers. And the thing is, I mentioned that, like, you'd have ways to, to fit in, uh, sorcerers. Sorcerers are basically just weaker versions of exalted sorcerers. But for every great, every exalted sorcerer from your great cult included in a detachment, you can take a sorcerer without taking up, uh, a battlefield role slot in a detachment. So they, they serve a similar role. Well, not really. I was going to say they similar, serve a similar role as lieutenants, but not really. But you can fit them into an army as yeah. long as you take exalted sorcerers. And you probably should take it. If you're not taking Armon, take an exalted sorcerer. Well, it's it's interesting because I think that they've done an excellent job of kind of fixing sorcerers. Because in previous 
codexes, they were kind of the holdover from, you know, the regular Chaos Marine books. So they didn't have kind of like how the, uh, the, the Nurgle plague caster had like better options across the board than the generic sorcerer. The advantage was the sorcerer gets a slightly different list of spells to choose from. In this case, like, no, these are just subordinate psychers or sorcerers. So you get them kind of for, you know, without taking up a slot, if you take an exalted sorcerer, but they're just more of the same, just a little less powerful, but they have the same options, a little cheaper. And like, that's great. Right. And being able to slot one in, if you take an exalted sorcerer means you're not giving like by taking one, you don't necessarily give up the other as long Mm -hmm. as you have the points to fit it in. Exactly. And then the exalted sorcerer is basically a, a more powerful version of this, uh, of the sorcerer, with a better invulnerable save, the ability to cast more psychic powers, like one additional, or no, I guess they, they know the same number of psychic powers. Yeah, they both can manifest two and deny one. So basically what you're paying for is a slightly better stat line, because uh, extra wound, extra attack, better weapon ballistic skill. Um, you're paying for uh, a better invulnerable save. They get a four up instead mm. of a f- the stock five up. They do get the um, captain style reroll aura, and you get the option to take them on a disc of Zinch if you want to have them effectively move like jump infantry, because then they become flying cavalry. And then the other holdover from the the previous times is the sorcerer and terminator armor, which you could either make from a uh, from the Scarab Occult Terminator kit, or I do like that the one they have pictured here, they they actually cover what they use to convert it, which that yeah. is something I, I, I don't think I've seen in many of the codexes, and I really appreciate them putting that in here. Because, like, it definitely uses parts from the Chaos Space Marine Terminator Lord kit, but then they took some of the pieces from the Scarab Occult Terminator kit, and they said, yeah, the these Parts are relatively, they're all plastic kits. They're pretty compatible. So just mix and match what you want to, to get the effect you're looking for. I, I really like them putting this little piece in here because that can show like newer players or somebody who's like, man, I really like the aesthetic of this army. And then you see like, oh, this isn't a stock model, but this is how we did it. I like seeing that here for, for new players or mm-hmm. players who maybe don't know where to start with conversions. Yeah, for sure. We've talked about uh, that cultists uh, don't get objectives secured. Uh, basically, in this army, and you can't take very many cultists. So basically, in this army, cultists are, I'd say, action fodder, and that's about it. Like, that's really the only role they fit in this army, is having a cheap unit to perform scoring actions. Mm-hmm. They're, I mean, they're cheap, but there's very few cases where I would see wanting to take them. Unless it unless it really just comes down to points, because like cultists are uh, five points a model, Zangors are seven points a model, and will have objective secured because they are they are Bray models. Yeah, because they're yeah, Bray well, models, so they get objective secured. Cultists do not. I think the objective secured is worth paying the extra points per model. Well, not only that, because they're Bray models, they also have a five up invuln. Yep, they have a five up invuln. So uh, they've got better strength, better toughness, uh, slightly better leadership. Um, Zangors are just a better choice and have the same limitation on how many you can take as cultists mm-hmm. do. So 
uh, unless you just need a dirt cheap unit for for taking actions, uh, I wouldn't bother with with Thousand Sun Cultists. Uh, Zangors, on the other hand, definitely more assault focused. They don't they have auto pistols, or you can take them with uh, like you can take them with auto pistols and chain swords, or you can take them with Zangor blades. There's no difference in price between them. It's just do you want all melee or do you want pistol shooting? Honestly. I'd take them with the Zangor blades and then be able to use them in both uh, Age of Sigmar and 40k and just have a more flexible unit. Yeah, that's what I did with mine because all all that you get because you gain the extra attack with the chain sword versus the dual blades. Mm-hmm. Well, the Zangor blade has an extra attack too and better AP. Right, so so you get the same. Yes, you get the same number of attacks. The only thing you gain by switching out from the blades to the chain sword and the pistol is you get a strength three pistol shot, which is nothing, and you lose. Uh, the AP from the Zangor plate. So honestly, there's no reason to not, you know, to 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 take to take the chain sword. In my opinion, I agreed. Uh, the one thing they did lose is relic hunters the ability to reroll failed hit rolls in the fight phase if they're targeting a character. Ooh, if you're sending yeah. Zangors against a character, something's gone wrong for your opponent anyway, right. or you're down to or you're down to just Zangors and are having to make bad decisions. Rubric Marines, the kind of the the stereotypical Thousand Suns model. They got the extra wound and extra attack that we talked about. Um, they automatically pass morale tests because they don't have mines; they're just autom- automata. And uh, they they kept their all is dust ability, which is um, if they take a damage from a a source that does damage one then they add one to their armor save. And they actually did specify one to armor saves. The previous version just said one to saves, which would theoretically apply to uh, invuln saves. They've, they've kind of tightened that up a bit. And then they don't suffer any penalty for moving and firing heavy weapons, which they can take a heavy weapon in the form of a Soul Reaper cannon. But, like, you can choose to take one or not. Otherwise, I mean, their Inferno Bolt guns are still great. At uh, strength four, AP minus two, one damage. I mean, Rupert Marines are going to most likely be the the core of your troops. So yeah. uh, that's you know just just expect to take several, a few units of those and then intersperse in Zangors to taste because Zangors will definitely be cheaper and you can alternate. Like also, Scarabicult Terminators count towards supporting how many Zangors you can take. So you could actually have more Zangors than Rubik Marines if you have Scarabical Terminators. Hellbrutes, uh, we get, we're starting, this is like one of the first times, like we did see it in, we saw them in Death Guard where they had, they didn't have Disgustingly Resilient, but they had a power that was equivalent to Disgustingly Resilient, which reduced their damage that they took by one. Um, Hellbrutes for Thousand Suns have the same thing. But because they are also in a Carcana Astartes unit, they finally have a five up invulnerable save. <laughs> Thousand Sun Hellbrutes, I think, would could actually be pretty decent. And they got rid of like the crazed ability and fire frenzy and everything. Now they just have a frenzy ability that says if they have seven or fewer wounds remaining, they re- re-roll wound rolls of one when they make an attack. So they get angry and are more likely to wound once they get to a certain level, but they're still completely controllable. So I think this is our first hint of what we're going to see with the uh, Chaos Space Marine Codex. Hellbrutes will actually be a better choice than they were before. Although this one is probably one of the best ones because, hey, five up and vulnerable. Right. <laughs> um, Scarab Occult Terminators. What if Rubric Marines, but in Terminator armor? 
they did get the extra attack. They did not get an extra wound. I think they were already at three. Yeah. But if you want Terminators, they're also one of the few units that has teleport strike. So if you want to deep strike them without spending points on a stratagem, you can do that. And otherwise, they have the same rules that Rubric Marines have, including all this dust and arcane automata. And yes, the Scarab Occult Terminators and Rubic Marines have like an aspiring sorcerer or the equivalent. So they know one psychic power and smite. They can cast one, deny one. Um, so you're going to have tons of psychic output in this army. And with so many powers to choose from, other than smite, which you might not even have to double up on smite all that often, you probably won't need to have that many repeat like worry about like oh i already cast this so i can't cast it again unless a power is absolutely key to your strategy so you might have multiple units with it but you'll have lots of options so you don't have to worry about that too much uh zangor shaman what if shaman but or what if zangor but also psyker and they allow uh they give a plus one to hit in a six inch aura for other bray models so like if you have zangors this is a good model to keep around your zangor Mm-hmm. Uh, Zangor Enlightened, which is basically a Zangor on a disc of Zinch. Uh, no psychic powers, just a salty. He can take a crate bow for shooting to basically snipe with. So if you want a Zangor sniper on a disc, definitely something you can do. Chaos Spawn or Chaos Spawn. Chaos Rhinos or Chaos Rhinos. Uh, I mean, like when we get to a lot of the like the Vindicator, the Land Raider, the uh, the Predators, they are all pretty much stock Space Marine stuff. But remember, they have Arcana Astartes, so they have five up invulnerables. Right. So um, this army is going to be, I think, I think people will be surprised how resilient this army can be with the addition of invulnerables on everything. And a five up invulnerable, while it's not as solidly dependable as a four up, a five up's not bad. I mean, entire armies of demons are built around having a five up invulnerable save. So this is not a bad you know, a bad thing. So like this is an army where I can see maybe taking standard scale space Marine stuff, but then we get stuff like the mutilith, uh, vortex beast, which is one of the weirder models they have. Oh, for sure. And another, and another one that I think doubles between age of Sigmar and uh 40 K. But yep. this beast is just awesome. And got, it actually got a glow up. In this, in this version. So the old Metalith Vortex Beast could only move eight inches at max wounds, had four attacks at max wounds, and could only use one Vortex power a turn. I'll talk about those in a second. And they got harder to use as you, uh, as you took damage and it slowed down and it lost attacks. Now, it first off, it starts at a better weapon skill. It does degrade as it takes damage, but it only de- degrades down to five. But it starts at three, which is better. Its movement starts at ten, so it starts faster and ends faster than it did before. Its attacks don't degrade, and it got an extra attack to start with, so it's got five attacks base. It's got 14 wounds, and then instead of being limited on vortex powers and getting harder to cast them, it has it starts at being able to do two powers at full health, and then degrades to one power, and then no powers. It's got a five up and vulnerable. It used to regenerate a lost wound every turn. It regenerates D3 wounds every turn now. And then the warp vortex on its back. In your shooting phase, you can use a number of vortex powers based on their health. 
each time you do so, like you just choose a power that hasn't been used yet. So really there's no benefit to using more than two of these because once you've used two of them, you'll have used all their abilities that they can do each turn. And honestly, I probably wouldn't run more than one because some of these powers are very conditional. But it could be anything from basically a target a unit, roll a d6 for every model in the unit, and for every six they take a mortal wound, to uh, a smite ability, to doing damage to every enemy unit within nine inches of the model, to basically an anti-vehicle attack. And these don't have to-hit rolls. They do have rolls that determine if they're effective, but basically you get – this is like your best shooting like heavy unit in the army most likely. Yeah. It's a really solid choice and not terribly expensive. I think it's only like 140 points. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, 145 points yeah. Um, compared to like a Mahler Fiend is 140. Uh, Defiler starts at 165. Uh, like a Forge Fiend is – will max it will be like a hundred somewhere between 140 to 160 points but this is one that is tied directly into you know kind of the army lore it doesn't feel like it's something borrowed from something else and like it just got better all around so this isn't this is a model i would look at dropping into this army uh vindicators land raiders we've seen the like seen what those are add a five up and vulnerable save um defilers uh, we saw those with uh, Death Guard, and we see the same upgrades there. Uh, better weapon skill and ballistic skill to start out with. Regeneration, uh, five up and rollable save. It's you know pretty much the stock thing. Um, they do not have Arcana Stardis, but they're already demons, so they already have a five up and vulnerable. But now we get to see Forge Fiends and Mauler Fiends, and uh, we're you know talking about previews for the Chaos Space Marine Codex when it comes out. The big changes are their movement is still degrades the same. Their weapon skill and ballistic skill start at three up and degrade down to five up. But better to start at three than start at four. Like they finally got, we mm-hmm. finally have completely shed the idea that a demon engine has to have a worse weapon skill and ballistic skill. I never liked that. I like, I remember when demonic possession was an ability you could add to vehicles and it lowered their weapon skill and ballistic skill right. and it's like it never made sense and so now finally games workshop has gotten on board with this and it's gone also their strength went up by one which especially for the mauler fiend is fantastic and their number of attacks do not degrade uh, Forge Fiend yeah. got one extra attack. The Mauler Fiend got two extra attacks base. So one more strength, two extra attacks base, and everything they got is better too. Like the uh, the Magma Cutters went from being a pistol one to assault two that do D6 plus two damage instead of a fixed three. Uh, Lasher Tendrils uh, lost one damage. They did lose that. They also used, I think, only do three additional attacks. Now they do six. Uh, no, they did six in the last Did codex. they do six? Okay. They did okay. six in the last codex. And then Mauler Fiend Fists went from D, uh, three damage to D3 plus three damage. Mauler Fiends are scary as hell in this. And so, uh, like, Mauler Fiends are going to be fantastic in the Chaos Space Marine Codex. They're going to be a, a, a great take. And uh, something they lost in the, they did not have, like, I remember they had it in an older version. They lost it in the Thousand Suns Codex, but they regained it, is the Siege Crawler ability 
um, they can ignore any or all modifiers to their charge roll. So they can, so like if somebody tries to use an ability to slow down your charges, Mahler Fiends just ignore it. If you're looking for an assault demon engine, Mahler Fiends are the way to go. And, uh, they're just, there's nothing to not like about them. Chaos Predators, the two variants of those, again, Chaos Predator with a 5-up and vulnerable save. You probably have better heavy support choices in this army to choose from between the Mauler Fiend and the Meteorolith Vortex Beast. So, like, I like I look at a lot of these and like, oh, the Defiler is cool, but nobody's going to take it compared to some of the others. Forge Fiend is cool, but Mauler Fiend and Meteorolith are, are where I'd go if you're going to go heavy support on this. The Helldrake is a fully-fledged flyer again. Um, to the point where its movement went from just being 20 inches, but it's always in like hover mode to it can fly like a full 60 and do the hard to hit and, and, uh, supersonic and things like that, that it, like it once had, and then they took it away to make it more of a ground based thing. And now they've made it a flyer again, like a, a full on like flying attack unit. In fact, when it's in airborne predator mode, when it's like flying high, it can only attack other units that have fly. And only units that had a fly can attack it. So I, it now operates basically two different altitude bands. I like that. I, I think it's a much more well-rounded unit now. And then in your command phase, you can make it hover, in which case it just has a move characteristic of 20 and loses Airborne Predator, hard to hit, and supersonic. So then it, it becomes the way it was before. But its movement will never slow down below 20. And then it also has the weapon skill, ballistic skill starting at three. Also, the Hades autocannon, which the Forge Fiend also has, has a better AP now. Bale Flamer's the same. Helldrake Claws are the same. So if you want a flyer, a Helldrake is not a bad choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that it's an actual flyer. <laughs> yeah. And because it can actually assault other flyers, which considering that uh, Skitari flyers, like Mechanicus flyers, are actually very popular right now, this might not be a bad counter to them because you've got an invulnerable save, you regenerate, and you can, uh, like, five attacks base with Heldrake Claws, which, by the way, if you're attacking another, another aircraft, instead of doing two damage, they do four damage each. So yeah. a Heldrake is now finally in a position where it can tear another flyer out of the sky the way it's always been pictured in fluff. Right. So, so the Heldrake's actually a good choice now. Yeah, it even has Hunters from the Sky as well, so it gets a plus one to its attack to hit roll uh, when it's targeting units that fly. So, like, its its role as a dedicated anti-flyer is, like, is Locked solidified, in. and like, and, yeah. I, and I like that, because that's what it should be. Yeah, I mean, basically, open on up open up on something with, like, the, the autocannon or bale flamer, and then go in for the kill and take it apart with claws. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah, so, um, if, if, you're running into enemy flyers in your in your meta. Heldrake. Heldrake's yeah. a solid, solid choice now. They're they're gonna be popular when the when the full codex comes out. Oh yeah. And then Magnus the Red comes out. And uh now looking if you just look at his stats, his stats really didn't change a whole lot between the previous codex and this one. And that that kind of surprised me a bit. He has the extra attack rolled in because of, you know, Death of the False Emperor is gone. His Gaze of Magnus is pretty much the same, except now it's uh, 3d3 mortal wounds instead of 2d6. 
He did get better on perils. His crown of the Crimson King used to let him ignore perils on a two-up, and now just allows him to ignore perils. He never perils, which is how it should be. Yeah, um, for sure. He's got the chapter master. He like he's got the captain and chapter master auras, you know, kind of abilities. So nothing like that we haven't seen on Mortarian. Unearthly power, which he used to have as like part of his damage chart, it still worked in. It's just he always adds one to uh, to his uh, psychic test or deny the witch tests. Uh, he can re-roll psychic tests, which is – that's actually new. So he can re-roll psychic tests. He adds one unless he has more than 10 wounds remaining and then he adds two. Technically, he would have Brotherhood of Psychers, so he would – well, do psychic powers fall under the same plus one, like, rolls capping – like, modifiers capping at one? I don't think they do because he can add two. So yeah, well, and there's other and there's other Kabbalic rituals that allow you to add two. So I would assume not. <laughs> so theoretically, he's adding three to his psychic powers to cast. So just be aware of that. He knows three psychic powers and can manifest and deny three psychic. Or he can he knows three psychic powers and smite. He can manifest three. He can deny three. He has to be your warlord if he's in your army. And unless you have more than one model that can be warlord, in which case, or that has to be warlord, in case you, in that case, you pick one of them. But here's the thing: like already, he looks a little bit better on paper. His movements the same. His attacks have gone up by one, but that's consistent with his other abilities. His stat line is is mostly the same. But now I'm going to cut over to to warlord traits. You notice I skipped warlord traits earlier, and. Uh, because much like uh, Mortarian, he has three. His warlord traits include arrogance of eons. You can reroll deny the witch tests taken for this warlord, which he can already reroll psychic tests. So that one's not that important. Also, if your army is a cabal of sorcerers, which it should be if you're playing Thousand Suns, he can benefit from an additional cabalistic ritual in each of your psychic phases. So he gets two. Undying form, you reduce all damage to him by one. To a minimum of one. So he's also more resilient than he's ever been before. And then lore, Lord of Forbidden Lore. Your warlord knows one additional psychic power. So really he knows smite and four psychic powers. If your warlord is Magnus the Red, he doesn't just know four psychic powers. He knows all the psychic powers from the disciplines he has access to. He has 18 psychic powers. <laughs> he has 18 psychic powers plus smite. It makes it easy. <laughs> That's pretty ridiculous. 18 psychic powers, plus three to cast them, reroll psychic tests, can't perils. Anytime he manifests smite, you do more, like, you do way more damage, and he can use two Kabbalistic rituals, which include the one that lets you, uh, I believe there's one that lets you uh, manifest an additional power. Mm hmm. <laughs> or it specifically lets you manifest a psychic power that's already been used. But uh, yeah, he has. Like all the ritual, like, you know, he, he's going to have, he's going to give you four cabal points. So that's already just by himself gives you access to at least four of the cabal. Like if you had no other psychers in your army, which you couldn't, you literally could not do <laughs> if you're building this army remotely correctly. He alone just gives you so much. So, I mean, you can build a thousand sons army without Magnus. But unlike, like, with Mortarian, you can build a, a, a Death Guard army without Mortarian, and you've got enough options. You can make that work. You can build a Thousand Suns army, like a 2,000-point Thousand Suns army without Magnus, 
but every Thousand Suns army is going to be better with Magnus than it is without it. Like, every single build. There's no reason not to if you can take him. Uh, I'm not going to go over many of the stratagems. Some of them are, like, like a lot of them are carryovers from either Ritual of the Damned or the original Thousand Suns Codex. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you're going to see a lot of a lot of repeats there. They still have webway infiltration, so like you can spend two or three CP to basically be able to deep strike uh, a couple of unit, a couple of infantry units that you couldn't uh, normally deep strike. So like uh, you can do that. They also have risen rubrique, which is one they carried over from Ritual of the Dan, which lets you just deep strike in a rubric marines unit. The idea is that you buried them there, and then they come dig themselves up out of the dirt at your command, which is kind of fun. Um, they have a, a strat, just like we saw in Grey Knights, to switch out one of their secondary objectives after they've been revealed. Oh, the, it's it's a uh, stratagem. There's a great sorcerer uh, that allows you to uh, manifest one additional psychic power per turn. Okay, there so you that's go. that's how you can get it. Because I remember right. seeing it in there, but it's so it's a strat. Yeah, which I mean, yeah, I you get a free command point every turn, so yeah, you can always just do mm-hmm. more. So, uh, yeah, nothing in the strats that is particularly support, uh, surprising. Uh, for 3CP, they do have effectively an orbital bombardment strat called Coruscating Beam, which basically is like you fire from a silver tower off table. Oh, hey, if you have a Mutalith uh, Vortex Beast, uh, they have a strat for 1CP that uh, select a model from your army within six inches of a friendly Mutalith Vortex Beast model. If that model generates Cabal points, generate D3 additional Cabal points. So, yeah, um, it's like, no, there is etheric saturation. When a psycho character from your army within 12 inches of a friendly mutant with vortex beast is selected to manifest psychic powers, instead of manifesting one psychic power with that model, it is healed and regains up to D3 lost wounds. So, oh, our, my Magnus is taking damage. Uh, he's within 12 inches of a vortex beast. He'll heal D3 wounds and not use <laughs> one of his three casts that turn. Yeah. And also with his ability, like he adds so much to his psychic tests and he can deny three times. He can also like this army can also has a very good chance at shutting down other psychic armies, like other armies that are using psychic abilities. Like a Grey Knight versus Thousand Suns fight is going to be pretty neck and neck as far as that goes. But like units that just scatter in a few a few psychers are going to really struggle against this army. And then finally, back to the very beginning, uh, the chapter approved rules. Um, there are four objectives. One is uh, for Warpcraft. So one of their psychic ones is Mutate Landscape. It gives you a psychic action to uh, basically mutate objective markers. Uh, you can do it like one unit per turn. It gets harder to do each u- each objective you successfully mutate. So it'll go from like four to five to six to seven to eight. But you score three victory points each time a unit from your army completes that. And because, like, minus Zangors and cultists and, like, your demon engines and such, everything in this army has a Psyker in it. Like, you can, like, your Thousand Sun, like, your Rubric Marines can be doing it. And you can use, like, like you could take the upgrade that lets a unit do it and still perform actions. Uh, that one is a really easy one to take for this army. Shadow Operations gets Burn Empires. If you select this army, your Thousand Sun Infantry units can attempt the following action. You can basically uh, burn objective markers. 
uh, and uh, score four victory points each time a unit from your army completes the burn empire action, but there can't be any enemy units within range. Like you can mutate a uh, objective that somebody else is, is controlling and mutate it. Burn empires, you actually have to control the objective and burn it. The action just automatically goes off and then, and it can't be within your deployment zone too. So you have to get out and do it, but which is also why it's four points. Um, that one's going to be d- more dependent on how you play and how like you get units out there. Uh, no Mercy, No Respite gets Wrath of Magnus. You only s- select this objective if your opponent has one or more psychic units in their psychic units in their army. Score three victory points at the end of the battle round. If more enemy models than friendly models were destroyed, this battle round as a result of psychic powers. You are going to win that battle every time. Right. Unless maybe you're playing against Great Knights, and then it might be neck and neck. And then Purge the Enemy gets Sorceress Prowess, scored five victory points at the end of the battle for each enemy Psyker character that was destroyed in the Psychic Phase by a Thousand Sun Psyker unit from your army, and three victory points for every other enemy Psyker unit that was destroyed in the Psychic Phase by a Thousand Sun Psyker unit from your army, which again, most of your army is Psyker units, so if your opponent is running enough Psyker, like if... No mer- like Wrath of Magnus and Sorcerer's Prowess are really good to run if your opponents are running several psychers. Um, Warpcraft is always a good one to take. Um, Shadow Operations is okay. The downside is this army, like the infantry, is slow because Rubric Marines are slow. Well, and that's where your uh, your Zangor Enlightened on discs come in and help out where you can use them to like jet around the table and take objectives. Well, I, they can take objectives, but they can't or, burn them because they're not thousand suns infantry uh, by being on disc. Oh, that's true. Cavalry. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I, yeah. You're but right. that's actually that. where, yeah. uh, where you're like having people in the warp way or using scarab terminators that you can deep strike in could be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're the combat patrol, uh, Kevin, you said you've run the numbers on this one, which, uh, yeah. by the way, this is the, the Thousand Suns half of Hexfire. That's all it is. It's, uh, it's two units of Zangors instead of one, but yeah, it's basically Hexfire. So it is, uh, an Infernal Master, two units of Zangors, and a unit of Scarab Occult Terminators. It comes out to about 440 points the way they have it kitted out here. There's not really much play in it because none of these, None of these have like super options, so that's pretty much what it's going to come out to. Uh, that does put that on the low end point wise, uh, and it's 23 power level, which is also uh, on the low end power level wise. But on the flip side, you do get 26 models, like you get a boatload of models in this. Zangors are very useful, as we mentioned earlier. You're going to probably want them instead of cultists. Two units is always good. You know, a unit, Scarab Occult Terminators are really good in this army. I don't know that I would necessarily recommend doubling up on this one, though, because the Infernal Master is a good option to drop one in, but I don't know that two are super helpful. Um, and then four units of Zangors means well, that you're going to have to add in two. Mm-hmm. No, it's going to be one big unit of Zangors for this box because, yes, yeah, so you're going to have one blob of 20 and then because the Scarab Occult Terminators can only allow you to use one. Tr- so if you okay, doubled true. up on it, That's you could fair. have two blobs of Zangor. Fair. But I, I was thinking if you double up, you could... If you doubled up on this, two to four units of Zangors means that you're going... And you're going to want to do this anyway. It means that you're going to have to add in some Rubric Marines to offset that. So I don't know. I mean, I guess I could maybe see that if you wanted to play like big blobs of Zangors, 
But I, I don't know. I think it's a good set. It does include a lot of models. The models are all new. They're are newer. They're all really great looking models. So it, it's one of those where like from a modeling and collecting perspective, it's a really good set. But uh, from like getting a good starting base for an army, I don't know that it is because I think you're going to want to add in uh, Rupert Marines and, and sorcerers just to make this work. Cause the infernal master is not, is it's good to have one. I don't think you want to rely on that. The infernal master only is your psychic support. No, you don't. I'm, I'm, if I was going to put this together and unfortunately I think the exalted sorcerers are in boxes of three. They are. Um, otherwise I would have said a source, like have the infernal master be a model you buy separately have the have an exalted sorcerer be your HQ, and then this the occult terminators a ten man unit of Zangors, and then a ten man unit of Rubrics, and then that would have been a box I would say double up on immediately. Like yeah, that would have been it's, a much stronger box. It's better than the start collecting box because the start collecting box had Aramon in it, which immediately is like, well, you can't really double up on this because it's a named character, so it's like. Mm. So yeah. it's it's better in that regard, I guess. But still, I would not double up. I would just buy the one. And unfortunately, that does mean the start collecting box is being retired. So yeah. um, if you can get your hands on one and you're interested in Thousand Suns, pick up one of those before they completely disappear. And I imagine, I wonder if, because Hexfire's out, but the Combat Patrol isn't. Let's see. If I look at Games Workshop. Uh, Hexfire is sold out online. So no, Hexfire sold is sold out. out. I was yeah. curious if they, if the start collecting box is still available for a thousand. It is sons. no longer on. Well, let's see here. There's more on this. So let me check. Nope, no longer available online. Start collecting yeah. thousand sons is officially gone. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, unfortunately, that means uh, you'll have to hunt around local retailers to try to get a copy of them. Or your local Games Workshop store could still have one in their like last chance to order no longer available section that they sometimes have at the back of the store. Mm. But uh, yeah, try to get one of those and the Combat Patrol. Yes. One of those paired with the Combat Patrol would be excellent. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Because then you would have two units that could then support two 15-man units of Zangor, and then you'd have an Infernal Master and Armon. That would be a really good basis for a, you know, for the start of a list, you know, for the start of an army. So uh, that, that's where I would go if you can track those down, but it's going to be harder and harder to get those because they are, they are officially no longer available because they're retiring them to make way for the Combat Patrol box, which is okay but not great. Yeah. Um, I think thousand sons, like they basically took the stuff they were already doing and made them better at it and brought their stat lines in line with all the other Marine stuff. So I don't know if they're necessarily be a powerhouse, but I think they've got a lot of neat tricks to work with. Magnus is still very much like the powerhouse of this, mm-hmm. of this army, but some of the other options have gotten noticeably better and with more flexibility on like how you can upgrade characters and, um, and, uh, you know, more characters, you know, more, more generic characters to choose from and like better demon engines and things like that. I think there's some more variety in lists that we might see. So I think I, if you, if you like psychic shenanigans and gray knights are not quite 
like grabbing you, um, this is definitely an army to look at. Uh, if you want to play paint something other than silver, uh, there's lots of color options you can do here. Like just besides the blue and gold, which like, like we already said, you're not even stuck with the blue and gold, but like the, like your demon princes, uh, the mutilith vortex beasts are, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can do there. Uh, Magnus is a phenomenal looking model. Uh, if you want to experiment with doing like color gradients on wings and things like that, I've seen some absolutely beautifully painted Magnuses. Um, so those are all good. There's lots of customization that you can do between kits and bits and, and a lot, of, there's a lot of compatibility. So you can have fun with it. So I would, I think it would be a good army and they've managed to keep the rules from being hyper complex. Like I would even argue that these are, these rules are simpler than like the Death Guard rules because the Death Guard rules have like the whole contagion aura thing that grows in size as the game goes on and has multiple effects. And it's still one of the easier armies to play. This is actually a surprisingly easy army as long as you can wrap your head around the psychic phase. Yep. So I, I think it's, I think it's a good one. Uh, I'd say it, it's probably going to be a solid mid range army. We'll see how it does in the competitive scene. I think there's been more emphasis on people taking uh gray knights rather than thousand sons of these two but i'm curious to see where it ends up going and from there let's go on to hobby progress and then the morale phase uh i actually have hobby progress i haven't built any models yet but i do have my painting station set up um i have a second lamp arriving today to provide a bit more light but uh i want to thank uh, mischief makers games on etsy uh they had a uh, Citadel paint station that I bought two of and it fits like almost all my paints. Like I, I'll have to find a place to put my air paints when I'm not using them, but like all the rest of my paints I have arranged on there very nicely with brush holders and everything. Um, and it's very compact. Uh, I have like there basically each set comes with a large rack that holds 48 paints, a smaller rack that holds 32 paints and then two racks that hold nine paints each that fit in under that so they can all nest together assuming you're not using any tall bottles like washes or contrast paints but the washes and contrast paints do fit in them it'll just change how much you can like it'll prevent you from nesting them all but like I have the I have two of the big racks and two medium racks out and then my two medium racks each have the two little racks underneath them for like paints that I don't use very often but like I can pull out for like, it's like my technical paints or things like that where, or edge paints where I'm only going to use them for like one step of painting. I can pull that block out and use it and then put it back when I'm done. So very space conscious. Also, every time I walk into my, my gaming room, the room has that wonderful smell of laser cut MDF. If you've ever put together laser cut MDF, that burnt wood smell is fantastic. And I love it every time I walk in here. Uh, so I'm hoping that next week, once I get this additional lighting in, which should happen today, that I can actually get back to building models and painting. And I'm so ready to do that because I have like I have a commission that I'm I'm a little backed up on that I was just going to start building like the week of we found out we needed to move. And then uh, and then I've got sister stuff that I want to I want to build and paint to fit into my sister's army. So I've got stuff to do. And I have three shelves, like three wire shelves set up with my I call them my shelves of shame because that is where all my unbuilt stuff is. 
So mm-hmm. that is all arranged and looking at me from the other side of the room, so I can't ignore it. It's not like stuck away in a closet or cabinet or anything. So that's me. <laughs> uh, I've actually done some work, not like a ton, but uh, I've built, uh, started working on building some of the sisters that I had left um, to work on. I did finally get my uh, the second wave of bases from uh, Shadow's Ed Min- Edge Mini to for like my uh, not pendant and engines the uh, the new walkers. Uh, I'm blanking on the names right now. The sisters walkers. Um, uh, the um, Paragon Warsuits? Paragon. No. Yeah, the Paragon Warsuits. Is it the Paragons or are you ta- is it the new ones, the Paragons or the Pennant and Engines or the Mortifiers? No, the, the, the-, par- the Paragon Warsuits. Uh, I was like, it's the new ones. I just don't, ah, couldn't remember the name. Um, so I've got those and I can start working on building those. And then um, on uh, Bolter and Chainsword, there are like uh, several like paint options, like, you know, kind of like uh, paint templates. Like they have one for space Marines and stuff like that. And I think a couple other ones and a towel one that I've used, I found they had a sister's battle one. So I went through and I think I've worked out a paint scheme that I'm going to use for my sisters going forward. So, Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So I can actually start working on that army. Cool. I, a, a new magic set came out. So <laughs> guess what? Guess what invaded my hobby space again? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fighting the good fight, but it never stops, especially with their current release schedule. Yeah, like yeah, I, I, I just have to stop. I think. <laughs> but or uh, do you? <laughs> or do I? We'll, we'll see. I, I have, I have plans to work on a few things, and I pulled out some old models that. Some some things that are hit, were hidden away from the pile of shame that I haven't done and and kind of want to work on, but we're, we're we're gonna stack up some magic cards and get those out of the way and and do those soon, hopefully. Progress is the goal, so there you go. <laughs> oh, and we have an update from Dennis at uh, Iron Halo. He's currently zero and four. His dream of taking home that wooden spoon is still alive. Um, <laughs> Uh, to be fair, it's his first like two thousand point outing with sisters, so uh, he's still learning the rules, which is rough to do at a GT. But uh, we've all For been sure. there, so. <laughs> but uh, he, he he's keeping the dream alive of of defending his title as having taken last at Iron Halo a few years ago. So we're proud of him. And then Kevin, for the morale phase, you had something you wanted to talk about. Yeah, um, I kind of wanted to talk about it a few, I think a month or two ago when it was released, but with the pandemic situation and theaters being the way they are, I didn't really feel like talking about it and encouraging people to go to like a movie theater if they're not comfortable with it. Uh, but now The Green Knight uh, is available on video on demand on Amazon, iTunes, etc. And uh, this has been the best movie I've seen this year. And like I that includes you know, like Shang-Chi and the other, like some of the other movies that I've seen so far, this movie is awesome. Uh, it's directed by David Lowry, excuse me, uh, directed by David Lowry, who has directed, uh, a ghost story and, uh, old man and the gun, which are also two really good movies. Um, it stars Dev Patel and Alicia Vikander. And it is just a, I I will say this. It is definitely a movie that is not for everybody. Uh, it is, kind of slowly paced. It is very atmospheric. Uh, I've heard it described by uh, 
other people as like an Arthurian tome poem. And that's a really good like description of it because it's literally just the story of uh, Gawain and the Green Knight. But it's just kind of slowly unfolding. Like he goes on his adventures. He goes through his scenes. He has little, you know, just the little like vignettes of like now there's a scene of him, you know, encountering bandits in the woods. There's a scene of him encountering, uh, you know, the ghost of Winifred and things like that. Like, and it's, it's so well acted. It's so well designed. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. Like it is the best movie that I have seen, uh, this year. And like, it's great to see. Because it only, I think, it had a fifteen million dollar budget, so it's pretty low, lower uh, budget for like a fantasy movie, and like it looks great, the costumes are great, the sets are great. I, I really hope that we see more fantasy films like this going forward because uh, it it was really good, and I, I had a blast watching it when I when I saw it the first time. Well, and, and you mentioned, like, the budget is low for a fantasy movie, but we're so used to seeing, like, big epic fantasy movies, like, with mm-hmm. big epic battles and things like that. And I got the impression this is much more of a smaller, like, emotion piece and storytelling Absolutely. piece than, than yeah. it is epic battle series. And I remember seeing the trailers when they first came out, and there's some really heavy imagery going on there. Like, oh, heavy for sure. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. If that is not your bag, that might not work for you. It, but yeah. Now I have <laughs> not st- full, full, full disclosure. I have not yet seen it, but like I've seen some reviews of it. I've tried to like try stay away from spoilers as much as I can, but the, the vibe that I got seeing the trailer and such is it reminds me it, both because it's Arthurian, but also because of the the use of like visual storytelling and and theme and such, that it kind of reminds me of John Borman's uh, Excalibur in that same kind of we're telling yes. Arthurian story, but with heavy use of like very pointed imagery. Yeah, no, it, that that's a really good comparison because it's it does share a lot of DNA with those like eighties fantasy movies like Excalibur or. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think the other one. Um, it's not Arthurian, but like, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I blanked on it. But there's there's a bunch of those like 80s kind of dark fantasy stories uh, that were made. And like that was kind of the golden age of them. And and this harkens back to that. It, it uses, you know, there's magic, there's strange beasts, there's epic adventure, there's, you know, giants in one scene. Like, it's a crazy movie. And uh, I... I I'm totally here for it. I also understand that it's not for everybody. And uh, so I've actually gone to see it twice in the theater and it's blown me away both times that I saw it. But the second time that I saw it, I think there was two other people in the theater with me. The movie ended and the credits rolled and like the lights came up. And the only thing I heard was the fuck was that? (laughs) And I'm like, that's the response that I want out of my movies where people are like, no, what the hell did I just watch? So, yeah, I I thoroughly love this movie. It's uh quite honestly, it's probably the best fantasy movie that I've seen since Lord of the Rings. It's wow. it's top shelf. Like it it is it is absolutely amazing. And as soon as it comes out on Blu-ray, I am buying it because it's like just it's gorgeous art movie and like if that's not your bag, you may not like it. Uh but if if you were at all even like remotely interested in like artistic filmmaking, this movie is awesome. Yeah, and and the story of going in the Green Knight is one that doesn't get re like 
people are like vaguely familiar with the title, but it's not one that gets retold a lot, and especially yep. not in cinematic format. So yeah, I'm I'm interested as somebody who's somewhat familiar with Arthurian legend. I'm definitely interested in seeing it, but yeah, seeing it in theaters was always was kind of my my thing. I was staying away from because we we're like not nah, really going to theaters right now. And for a long time, you couldn't, you know, like, like all the theaters here were shut down for a while. But now that it's available streaming and yeah, it looks like it's on Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, like all the various like platforms for like about 20 bucks to watch it. So it's actually interesting because it was supposed to be released at South by Southwest in 2020. And then obviously that got canceled. The delay got, you know, moved back. Uh, and it was released in, uh, in July. It's actually funny though, in that the basically the year, you know, year and three months that he had, they basically re-edited the movie completely. Oh wow, really? Yeah, and and even the director's like, no, this is a much better movie than it was if we'd released it a year ago. So yeah, I it's it's fantastic. If you were interested in like eighties fantasy movies or Arthurian legend, it's super good. Like it is it is the like updated modern version of those like eighties dark fantasy movies, and it's awesome. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. I'll definitely have to check it out. I, I look forward to checking it out too. Yeah, and I just checked the uh, Blu-ray re- release date is in October, so uh, about another another few weeks. Okay, so yeah, so if you don't want to watch it on streaming, or if your internet connection's a little twitchy, but you got a Blu-ray player, wait a few weeks and uh, you'll be able to to get it then. But uh, yeah, definitely sounds like one I want to check out. So cool. All right. Well, I think that wraps up episode 245. Uh, we look forward to hearing back from Dennis on his, uh, his Iron Halo experience. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. But until then, from all of us here at uh, Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. And Richard. Good night. Good gaming. And remember, nine's the magic number. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.